Well, hey everyone, this is Kevin from Q. I'm here with Jay from Pew Science today, right? Yes, sir. Jay, how are you doing? I'm great, man. It's been a, been a cool couple of days. Yeah, so it's good to have you did a build yesterday, two builds yesterday, two so builds. that's pretty exciting. Um, so I think we're gonna do a podcast and have some whiskey here. This is a Yippie Kaye that some nice person sent us from, I think that's Salt Lake. I don't have my glasses on. You can yeah, Park, well, Park City. Park, Park, okay. Park City, Utah. Whatever, same state. Um, and I've got a beer that I was sent by a young man yesterday. You have PBR because you like that. Yeah, PBR is great. So this, you can see there's very little of this left because it's actually like my favorite whiskey so far in the counter or in mm. the cabinet. So we'll I feel this. I feel guilty taking the last. Well, you're going to have to share it. All right. So, but I'll, I'll give you most of it. I won't oh, taste it. Oh, shit. Man, you're giving you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, what... Um, <laughs> Get every bit out of the box. Okay, so Pew Science. So you just told me something interesting. Why is it called Pew Science? Um, well, uh, uh, to be honest, it, 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 was, it was a backronym, which is kind of like an acronym. You, you come up with the acronym first, and then you, you look at a, you know, an actual definition of it later. And so it stands for Professionally Engineered Weaponeering. That's so cool. So <laughs> what, well, what, what, what's your background first? I'll do that before I ask you about what you're doing in our industry now. Um, well, uh, I am a professional engineer. I, uh, I went to school at Texas A&M University. So you have a degree, unlike most of the engineers in our industry. Yeah, gotcha. I, I, well, I, got, I have two of them. I have two, yeah. two engineering degrees, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to Texas A&M. Um, I, uh, I started out uh, in electrical engineering, actually, just because I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know. Big nerd, yeah. Yeah, big nerd, like computers, like math, um, you know. I, you know, I was in high school, public school in, in the United States, super, super easy for, for a lot of people, you know, and so it's, yeah. you don't, you don't really know what you want to do yet. You ask your, your folks and you say, what do, okay, it's time to go to college. What do you think I should do? My, well, my dad's an engineer. He said, well, you should, what do you do? You like math? I'm like, yeah, you, you, you like physics, right? I'm like, yeah, I love physics. He's like, well, you should be an engineer. I was like, well, what kind of engineer should I be? He's like, well, he's like, you're always on the computer. I was like. Okay, he's like, you should be an electrical engineer. I was like, uh, okay. I didn't know anything. Yeah. I went, I, so I went to A&M, you know, started electrical engineering, did okay, had some friends in it, um, didn't like it. Didn't yeah. like the, it wasn't hands-on enough. Kind of floundered a little bit, drank beer. School was easy in high school, so I, I didn't know how to study. I thought, you know, my dad's not from the United States, so... In his, when he was coming up, his school was so demanding. When he, when he went to college overseas and in the United States, it was, you know, easier for him because he had been kind of trained on how to study and like yeah. really hardcore, but like I didn't. So like I kind of, you know, I drank beer. I did but the normal it college It seems stuff. so smart. Yeah. If, if you identify that children are gifted when they're young, like maybe don't put them in class with the non-gifted kids. Like maybe challenge them a little bit. Yeah. Seems, maybe in a parent seems pretty obvious. Yeah, maybe, but... maybe, that's, maybe that's obvious to some people. So anyway, long story short, I ended up walking around one of the engineering buildings one day on one of my off days and I, I overheard a lecture um, and it happened to be a structural mechanics lecture. And I, and I peeked my head in and you know, A&M's a pretty cool, pretty laid back school, but it's yeah. a very good engineering school in Texas. Um, I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but it's, it's very good. And so it's pretty demanding. But the professors are cool, and I, and I sat in on the class, just, I just walked in in the middle of the lecture, and I sat in on the class, and I looked what the professor was doing on the, what they were doing on the board, and right after the class ended, 
I went straight to the advisor's office in that building and changed I changed my major. I changed my major to civil engineering um, because I wanted to and, and you know what civil engineering isn't the only type of engineering that has mechanics I mean you know mechanical engineers civil engineers aerospace engineers they all study it but just the way that particular professor was talking that day Oh, you I, connected with the professor. I connected with the professor. I was going to say, because <clears throat> you seem yeah. smart for civil engineering. Like, my nerd yeah. engineers would make fun of civil engineers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Ab that's good whiskey. A absolutely. Like, a lot, of, a lot of engineers don't understand. So, I then went through that and discovered that I really hated civil engineering. Mm -hmm. But what I liked was mechanics. So much so that when I got to dynamics, um, that was when I kind of found I mean it was an obsession and so I ended up specializing in undergraduate work before I even got to graduate school I specialized in in dynamic analysis and actually did undergraduate research at Texas A&M under a professor which is kind of oh, really which is kind of not normal that's, for most kids that's awesome you know like for me I knew that I was probably going to go to law school mm. and so my undergrad didn't matter and so you know what I would do in undergrad was just take like in this certain area, you, you know, which I think my undergrad is political science. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, I don't. But you know, there were like four or five majors where it was all so similar, and like I didn't even give a shit because I, they were all fine for what I was going to do. So it's kind of like whatever classes mm -hmm. I wanted to take, or like you said, I had a couple professors yeah. that I really liked, and so whatever they were teaching and however my major ended up was totally fine. And yeah. then that also ended up where how like I got, you know, a second because it was I discontinued to take classes. I finished like my undergrad a little early and I was still there. I took more classes because I like the professors or, or the content. It can make such a difference. Yeah. And I tell you what, one of the things when I when I finished my undergraduate curriculum, the the choice to go on to graduate school was not even, it wasn't really a choice. There was, there was two or three guys that were kind of my buddies coming up through the program. Yeah. And you know, we, you know, with engineers, like, like a lot of other disciplines, you kind of get these buddies that you study with. Like whenever everyone else is out partying, if you're serious, you're, you're probably at home buckling down and doing problems and trying to go to bed early so you can do exams. I mean, engineering is like one of those things where it's, it's like anything, like architecture, medicine, law, any type of degree with taking you into a professional organization, it's gonna be demanding. So. All three of us were like, or four of us at the time, we were like, let's just get masters, like, cool. Yeah. So we stayed in the same program at the same school, which is another thing that's a, that some people don't like and, and re respect in engineering. Some people feel like you do your undergraduate work, and then you're supposed to no, spread your wings, mm -hmm, and you're supposed to like get more breadth and knowledge, but the fact of the matter was... Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, it's the same thing with law school. Okay, well, but the fact of the matter is at, at Texas A&M at the time, I'm not sure if they still are, but they're, they were top five in the, in the United States for the program. Oh, really? Oh, that's good. I mean, there was, it was like A&M... Yeah, so why do you leave at that point? Yeah, A&M, Stanford, Georgia Tech. Because the way I viewed it <laughs> yeah. was like undergrad, like I knew I was going to continue with education. And so yeah. my undergrad, it made no difference to me. Like I, I didn't care where it was. So to me, if I could live on a lake or it was a size school I wanted, or it was Absolutely. near a shooting range. Like, those things mattered to me more, because I'm like, it, undergrad, like, I knew my undergraduate degree was never going to help me as far as get a job, or, you know, it wasn't sure. going to be important. In that yeah, way. especially if you're going to go to law school, like, 
Yeah, attorneys, typically their goal is you go anywhere for the undergrad to get a high GPA to get into the best law school. Yeah. Like, that's what you do. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I graduated sixth in my class. It yeah. was a pretty easy that's school. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, but so anyway, like, when I got to grad school, that's when I, that's when I did the stuff that, I'm, that I've been doing now for, uh, what, it's 2020. I, I, I got my master's in 05. Um, yeah. And, and it, yeah, I've been for 15 years. I've been I've some hours in. Though. Yeah, I've been doing. Uh, I've been doing structural dynamics. First, I worked for, I worked for the U.S. government for a, um, a, a Department of Defense organization in the Northeast, here in the Northeast, in Virginia, um, and that's where I did a lot of stuff. Um, what I can talk about in the podcast, it, in general terms, uh, a lot of uh, it was an in intelligence. Yeah. But but it was um, a lot of you know target defeat, weapons effects, things like that. Not small arms. Yeah. Um, more, more different types of munitions, and um, yeah, really cool stuff. Cool stuff. Cool stuff, because that's the only place you can do it. It's, it's only not, like, not like you can start that business, and there's some private no, the, sector. Yeah, the U.S. government is 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 um, yeah. and, and because of, because I was so, an engineer, and it was in, in Intel. Yeah, it was quite the unique thing. I, I did that for a few years. So cool. But then you know uh, there came a time where I decided I wanted to transition to the private sector, and I wanted more hands-on challenging work yeah. I, feel, I feel like i did my career back the hands-on well yeah because that's to some degree is a lot of theoretical stuff and it takes yeah. years to develop and the testing you don't get to be a part because well, i think like yeah. what if you were the way i'll equate what i do to that is you know like me doing small arms is like being a a, a, a home builder and i build homes that are very nice but yeah, what you're doing is building like mega structure, like stuff that you can't really even well and, comprehend. And, 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 Super and cool stuff. It is, but another big part of it was they wanted me to be the subject matter expert for a certain discipline, which I would have developed into. I mean, Sounds I had like I was scapegoat. Well, I was a federal, you know, I was a federal employee. It was, this wasn't a contracting job. Like I was set. Like if I wanted to stay there, I could have stayed there and retired. Like it's that, and that's the thing that. People don't realize that's how the U.S. government works. If you get into a billet as a, as a DOD civilian and you get to a certain grade, um, I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but you're, you get e equivalent of being an officer in some, in some circles. Yeah. I mean, I know it's the same as, as, as someone who's a warfighter. I, I get that. I'm not, yeah. I don't have delusions here. But it's, it's this level where like, you, you can be set, but you have to take a personal approach and say, well, what do I want to do with my career? And so, yeah, so I went... Um, I went back to Texas after a couple of years, and I've been working at a firm ever since. And my primary role now is I, I do anti-terrorism force protection, dynamic design to protect people. So I'm doing the opposite of what I did before. Before I yeah. figured out how to how to destroy the enemy. Now I've been doing nothing but protecting people in the government, um, industry, uh, you know, local, state, federal government, uh, and industry for, from hazards, whether it's weapons, whether it's um, explosives, whether it's yeah. industrial hazards, yeah. For the past, that's super the, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I do, and and uh, and I like guns, and then it just started. Yeah, it's like a well, to me, it is, it is interesting <laughs> that you got exposed to the the government side early on, mm -hmm. because then you see, to me, in some ways, like what you're describing, is it so different from like a corporate job? You know, where yeah. you could get to a certain level and you're set, and you make too much money, and your bonus is too big, and your pension is too big to ever leave. But then, oh, it's so hard to, yeah, if you, want, if you want to force change or you want to innovate, 
you got to weigh those options. And then by that time, you got a big house and a boat, maybe a weekend house, and your kids are in college, and you can't afford to like go out and do your own thing. Can you imagine the balls it takes to leave a position like that with a house on a lake in Virginia, and like as a kid, like out of out of grad school, making a good salary with a guaranteed job, and his dad be my dad. You know, he was he's a he's a retired engineer, multiple degrees. Basically, you know, I'm first generation American. He came to the United States, worked his ass off, retired from the Army Corps of Engineers after 30, oh, yeah. 30 years of ser a civilian service. When I told my dad, he called you stupid. He he was so. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, yes, but but, <laughs> but but also, but also he uh, he did have a genuine concern because he you know as a father as as you know to a child he wants his his yeah. children to be secure in their career he wants them to be able to provide for themselves but he you know he's a cool dad and he, he respected my decision yeah, well you got to think you know? in, in first generation so he came here looking for something better but then also probably a lot of stability uh, of course and, and, and safety and, and so that's so important <laughs> but you you growing up here you know that's the thing that's where i just think it's like such a joke with a lot of young people and you know like how stupid are you when you get out of college you know and you're a then, child like you're looking for stability or like you're looking for your dream job like you don't even know who you are like why do you care to me it's like that's when you take risk and it's hard for me like i know it's scary and i know it's like different personality profiles but when you say can i imagine how scary it was for you to leave that position yeah like i think i can better than most people like just like starting q absolutely like i did well with my first career and company and sold it like i don't i didn't need to work and then so for me to start another one and invest millions of my own dollars into it, which, you know, I'm not a billionaire, like I've done okay, but it's scary. But to me, I saw it as no other option. Like, what am I gonna do, just sit around and continue to be like a housewife the rest of my life? I mean, you gotta make a choice. Like, man, I, I would, and, and I'm not trying to, and what I don't want is people to now like start Googling everything and try to figure out where I worked and then like try to find the people that were and talking shit. I'm not trying to do that, but I will say when working oh, yeah. at some of those haters, they'll go do that. Yeah, stuff no, the, which is, which is fine because like most of the stuff I've done is classified and won't find it. Yeah. So, um, but the thing is the, I, I have met people that work for the government, both the agency I work for and others where they'll sit in their cubicle and they will have an Excel spreadsheet counting down their days to retirement. And these people are in their late twenties. When I see stuff like that, as, as someone who, who's driven and wants to achieve, like I'm, I'm a fairly competitive person, I'm a fairly yeah. driven person. When I see that, it's not necessarily that it makes me upset, but it does make me feel like there's, they, they're probably squandering their potential. And I saw enough of that. That was one of the contributing factors to me where I was like, I can't, I do not want to turn into that. Isn't it so interesting? Well, like, I think it's a, and I don't know what percentage, but you know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 30%, maybe it's 5% of people where you're willing to risk for the potential of something better that you don't even know what it is. Like I feel driven to, like I had the conversation um, with our own 70% of our company and I had a conversation recently and we had a group that came to us that were interested in the company. Mm -hmm. And it's the conversation again of, well, okay, well that's great. We can make some dough, but does it change my life money? And what do I do? Like, I'm getting older. I'm 46. I've been in the industry 27 years. So when you talked about, like, you've been doing this 15 years, and I think in terms of every, you know, there's so many new gun companies or people in the industry, they've been in it three years, they fucking know everything. 
That's what it seems like. Oh, and the little haters, and they go, so they'll research everything that people like me have actually done, and the subject yeah. matter experts, you know, yeah. they try to become. And it's like, when you said 15 years, I'm like, instantly, okay, you've got 30,000 hours only if you're only working 40 hours a week. So by American standards, you are a subject matter expert. That's reps, man. Like, like whoever, right. who's ever listening to this that works out or is an athlete or is a runner, a swimmer or a weightlifter or, a, you know, any, anybody who does sprinting, think about how many reps that is getting up every day. Not only reps of like years, you, you gotta, like, you gotta you put gotta, the time in. If you want to build your body, you got to put the time in. Yes. If you want to build your mind or you want to build expertise in a subject, you got to put the time it's in. practice, there man. No fucking way around it. I don't care how smart you are. Michael Jordan. That's greatest, right. And, and to me, I love Larry Bird. Greatest basketball players ever. And natural talent that also put in, you know, 80 hours a week for fucking 25 years. Dude, Jordan would get up in the middle of the night and go yeah. to the court. Yeah. I mean, to me, he wasn't even the best player on his team at North Carolina. James Worthy was. Yeah. But, you know, he dedicated himself and became the greatest player of all time. But, you know, with that, and I think in terms of me, where I get, like, I'm just naturally competitive and confident like you are. And now I know, like, when I see people now, I watch the YouTube channels or I see posts online from people that think they're real smart in our industry. 27 years. So... You know, and you didn't work 40 hours a week. Like, your mind's not thinking about it because you're passionate about what you do. So you're probably 60 hours a week. It, it's compul so we it's add, compulsive. We add another 50% yeah. to that. So you don't have 30,000 hours. You have 45,000 hours. Yeah. So me, 27 years. All I do from the time I wake up till I go to bed, I'm constantly working and thinking. And, you, you know, that's where I'm so dedicated to the innovation and we develop new products. And you see with a new company now, we're so copied and... But, yeah. you know, what, what, do I, what do I have, 70,000, 80,000 hours? Well, you know, Kevin, it's interesting you say, I actually had never thought about it in terms of hours, but there is something, there's a word that people will see, and I think this will offer perspective for listeners to this. When you hear the term practice, like when you hear um, an attorney say they practice law, or you hear a, a doctor yeah. say they practice Medical medicine, practice. or like an engineer practicing engineering, well, you know, when you're licensed to protect the public, like those disciplines, and you are practicing, it literally is practice. Yeah. It's not like you, you, like you, uh, you know, you got a med, med student that busts his ass, goes through the, the rigmarole to get. This is the most dangerous time to me because you feel so entitled when you've gone through all that shit in medical school, law school. But, but you don't know anything. It's difficult, but yeah. all you have, yeah, because, and think about who's teaching you. Like, I had law professors, yeah. and it's like, they weren't great attorneys. No. And it's where I think about, like, one of our haters that maybe runs a meme page and works at a little company, and he has never done anything. But what he does is research people, and he goes and types out all, you know, he won't say anything to anyone's face, or he is anonymous a lot of times when he's not, but he types out these long paragraphs. He's going to be a great professor one day, but he's never going to do fucking shit all in our industry because he's a loser and all he can do is focus on people who do things and the jealousy of that. And I had lots of great law professors that inspired me, but couldn't make it as an attorney. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous to forgo practice and be subject to hubris. Yeah. Because... You, you know, it's one thing to, to have an impression of reality and then convey that impression that you have to others. It's another thing to have practiced and understand the full nature of reality and then lecture. 
and 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 I feel like there's a there's a complete melding of those two ideas now because of the internet. The internet's so great. Oh, people think Everyone, they're experts because the information's out but there. But that's the thing. The internet no is so on. great. I say this all the time to people. The internet is, it's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Everyone, we, have, we, we live in the greatest country in the world. Sure. Everyone has a voice. Everyone can say anything they want. But, yeah, but... But you, then, you, but then ever, anyone can say anything they want. Yeah. <laughs> you you know? know what's great about that, though? <laughs> is, like, let's, let's think about it. I am not... I have known people who, whether it be Max Atchison or, you know, like I didn't know Eugene Stoner, but one of my best friends, Trey Knight, worked with Eugene Stoner every day for 10 years. Epic. And, you know, you meet Trey, he, he plays it off and he plays cool and not to have a lot of technical understanding. You know, Trey's a cool guy, not arrogant whatsoever. He worked with Eugene Stoner every day the last 10 years of Eugene Stoner's life. Every day, the only person that worked with him. You can't even buy what that. What the fuck did he learn? Yeah, and so, you can't and buy that. even my perspective, 27 years, I have tested, and we're, this is be a great segue into what you're mm -hmm. doing now. I have tested, and Ethan and I, more silencers than probably every other current silencer maker put together. I have shot more rounds through silencers and tested more silencers because for 15 years, that's all we did. Sound meter stuff, test stuff for durability. And then you think about... Um, you know, I love when I see Q is like just, oh, you know, it's just hype, you know, because number one, I spend zero money on marketing. So that's pretty cool that that's the impression. So I must be good at marketing. And then, but <clears throat> mine and Ethan's career. So you for 15 years been doing engineering for 15 years. All Ethan and I did was work with SOCOM at the most elite level and the government developing and testing shit with them. So the things like destruction tests on everything. So when I got... When I have a 25-year-old kid talking to me about welding because he went to school for welding, like, that's cool. Okay, so, so I spent two years of my life developing machine gun silencers with, you know, the two groups that shoot every fucking body with machine guns. And we did destruction testing. So that's cool that you have this theory, just like my professors had these theories on subjects. But what you got to have, or you need to have it all, all-encompassing. So I have that. We did the testing. We won every military contract there was for silencers with, with SOCOM and the most elite, well, military and special group, special forces groups in the world. I mean, people saw it though. It's not like, and it's not like that's a surprise to people who understand the industry either. Though. Yeah, and and then when I hear things about the honey badger or our welds with silencers, like the reason I know that our welds are okay when. The program is correct, and the machine sure. that we when the manufacturing develop. goes according to plan, <laughs> the design works. Who'd have thunk and, it? And people don't realize, <laughs> like when we were developing silencers for SOCOM, we worked with the companies that build the welders now to build the design and build those welders that everyone uses. That came from advanced armament and our experience. So we have all of those things, um, and that's not something you get by. And what's so interesting is when you talk about a voice on the internet. I have an Instagram page and you know, like the wannabes have the same Instagram page. So it's level, level field there. Everyone's the same, but, but we're not. But are they? <laughs> but, yeah, but, but they're not, you know? And I know, like I know my value. I know why our guns are good. Like you built two, a mini fix and a fix yesterday. Yes, I did. And you got to build it, not with a sales guy. We don't have sales guys. We don't even have any marketing people. Like. I own the company. Let me ask you a question while we talk about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who owns SIG? I don't know. Who owns Dead Air? 
I know Eric owns Dead Air. No, he does not. Eric, does he not? Eric works for the guy who owns Dead Air. Oh, wow. So you don't well, even know. Look at me talking out of turn. Yeah. So, so I don't know. Who owns, you know, and good companies, Yankee Hill, who owns that company? I don't know. I, I mean, I've met Chris. I feel like Chris and Kevin is a family business, but I don't know. You don't know. Who, who else is there? Oh, here's another one. Thunder Beast. Who owns that? I have no idea. Everybody thinks it's two guys that run their mouths. It's not them. So I run my mouth. I own the fucking company. Everybody knows who I am. And so you see, like, my flaws or the positives about me. But, you, you know, like, Mike Pappas doesn't own dead air. Like, Mike Pappas is an employee there, just like, you know, my welder is an employee at my company. Um, so if my welder tells you something about the fix or that he can give you a gun, he's lying to you. You know? I mean, I, I tell you something. I own the company. You take it to the bank. You know, when I built those rifles yesterday, um, one of the craziest things to me, because I, you know, I spent the actually, I spent the day with, with um, your engi- your engineering team, yeah, <laughs> which was a little weird. Like for those listening that don't know about like just how I guess teams of engineers work in most industries, um, it's it's uh, it's typical to have engineers work on a team together on projects. Um, typically, there's not only one engineer that designs something. Typically, there's coll- at least some collaboration, and so, uh, and that's always the best in my. Experience. Always the best. I mean, it's, it, I mean, you ha- it, and it's it's better. It's always it's just better because, you know, you, yeah, you bounce ideas on off each other, and he's unchecked. Like you have one engineer that does yeah. an entire project, no one's looking. It's over very dangerous. Him. It's very dangerous. Never get the best product. And so when I did that, you know, first like me personally, one of the thoughts that popped in my head was, wow. There sure are a lot of engineers here for how big this company company is, and there's sh- and this company is pretty small for the stuff they've done. This is weird, and like when I was in the building, yeah, I was like, this is weird. I yeah. was like, this is like a super non traditional, and and I don't want people and I, I I kind of anticipate some people's opinions about what I'm saying, and a lot of people think that. Um, people get seduced by things that are different. Like a lot of people think, oh, people think Google's really cool because, you know, they have beanbag chairs and, and that's just bullshit because they're liberals and both. It's like, it's sort of like relax. Google yeah. does a lot of things Google, right. Google does a lot of things right. <laughs> and, and if they didn't, you know, we wouldn't be using their term as a verb. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so it's true. like, you know, when, when one of your engineers told me yesterday that he was, it was pretty cool that he got to work for the Google of guns. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I was like, dude, I never heard that term before, and I think you hit the nail on the head in the and how you described it. And when I got to build the fix rifles with the engineers that designed them, and they were explaining to me from an engineering perspective all the different features, it was, I mean, for one, I'm nerding out as a gun guy because I'm a gun guy. But for two, I'm nerding out because I know what it takes to do what they did, and it's and it's important. It's like a big deal. Yeah. So. That's where, I mean, that's, that's where Unpossible came from. Because uh, you, you think about that gun. You're a smart guy, an engineer. You built the gun. And you think, you didn't show up to Q and PR guy, you know, hit you up, or the marketing guy. No. Like, when I think, like I think <laughs> of these companies where their marketing people kind of go after me. Like, I don't even know who they are because they're unimportant. Like, I'm our marketing person. If, if I type something on Instagram, it's coming from me, the owner of the company. You know, not some guy that was at you know, whatever Dick's Sporting Goods last sure. week. Um, but as far as the engineers go, to me, 
I want to do more than I'm able to achieve and I don't need marketing. I don't need any of this. I need to develop the best product and we develop the best product and you show up, you build it, you, you build it with the engineers. So it's, it, it's so funny for all the things that are said about us or about me, we are so transparent. You show up to the company on a build day and, and, and even yesterday, half the employees are off on, on Friday, uh, primarily because of COVID, but sure. the summer too. But, um, but you saw even the employees there, pretty high per capita of engineering. You build the guns with the engineers that design the guns. You can ask them any question, and they don't give you an answer under my supervision. No. We don't have a spreadsheet of the answers. I don't tell them what to say. We don't have a marketing or PR person. You're dealing with the guys that did it. And, you know, and, and the thing is why, why they respect me probably in a lot of ways is I put my money where my mouth is. Like I said, I want to develop the best stuff, and I will pay for it. We will agree and we will do it. We won't put it on a timeline. We won't put these restrictions until my money runs out. And so then that's the business challenge for me and the operations team is we have this gun and the engineers, they're so good, you know, and they constantly, like that gun would never be finished to them. But it's we, not finished. We <laughs> talked about that yesterday. But we have to sell it. But you have to sell it, but it's not, it's never finished because if you have the flexibility and the creativity and the resources yeah, the to improve power. something, and you know, you know, you guys are selling guns, and I've heard you say this publicly before, so I think it's something I can say. Like, you know, you guys make incremental improvements in the product line. Oh, constantly, and and it almost gets on my nerves at this point because yeah. you know we're trying to ramp, and we are ramping, and we're building more guns every month. We're shipping more guns every month, but the back order grows at an exponential rate every sure. month. Sure. And we have to get there. And with incremental changes, it slows um, our growth. Because what's important with the growth to me is, is like, I make plenty of money now. Like, I don't live very extravagantly. I kind of do whatever I want. But I'm, I think, modest probably in a lot of ways, like, financially. Like, I don't, you know, I could drive a suburban and Yeah, you're not like... For the most part. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what I expected, but it's pretty normal. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, but you know, sometimes, but I mean, I look at like, you're in my house. Well, yeah. this is a, it's a, it's a nice house, but sure. you know, like it's paid for, yeah. like that's my life. Yeah. And, and, and so I don't, I don't think in terms of that, like for me, when I think of money, it's like, how can I, 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 I don't know how much longer I'll be able to work the company and I hope it's like 30, 40 years, whatever it is. But there's things I want to accomplish. And for me, I, I feel so fortunate, maybe like you do, where I'm so passionate about my professional life. And I'll say professional, even though every, I'm probably pretty unprofessional. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I get paid a lot for my job. So I think it I'd makes say, me I'd say when you go pro, it's because you're making money. Yeah. <laughs> so I have that. When I think in terms of money at this point, I don't think about bigger house. Like, I want to hunt. I want to continue to be able to take care of my kids. And I already have enough for that. And so for yeah. me, it's like, well, you know, like fuck you money to me would be, I have my own Gulf stream and the money doesn't affect my life. So that means I have to make a shitload of money. Yeah. That's like a different level. Yeah. So if I don't make like another hundred million dollars, then money doesn't affect my life. Yeah. There's really. like incremental jumps, right? It's like that 70 K per year curve that everyone's cool with. Yeah. Then it's like 500 or something. There's like these jumps where it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, even with my salary, you know, when I think about the company, it, it's like we had a brief meeting yesterday about finance at the company and um, we're talking about cash on hand. Mm. And there's 
such an excess now that we got to do something with it. I was just talking to Nick last night about it, about like what he wants, like a new thing he wants to do. We were, man, last night, one of your engineers, Nick and I, we were like late after he oh, stayed yeah. there late. We were at the shop. Oh, they after will. As long as I fund them working on cool shit, they'll stay. Yeah, we were, we were talking about, yeah, you know, look at this. I got this for only like 30 bucks and look what we, we, we can do with it. We're, we're geeking out on like what we, what, what you guys could measure it, with it, how you could improve yeah. something. And it was like, and you have, you know, you have influx of capital. It's like, let's talk capital expenditure, baby. Yeah. Let's talk capital Because, you know, there's been times where it's lean. Yeah, exactly. Because of there's been times where I say, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, write payroll out of my personal checking account. So we got to make it work. Right. And, you know, and there's, there's been, a, you know, I'm not good at operations. I don't enjoy it. I like, I like innovation. So I'm always prone to spend money. But now, you know, we're in that situation because what I don't want with the growth, so we're trying to grow. I'm not trying to be an ass about it with the company. But what's important to me is quality and innovation, and we can't sacrifice those things. So to grow at the same rate, parallel new technology, that's challenging and it's expensive. And then also, no, I can throw cash at building more guns, but if we can't QC them properly, if we can't have the vendor relations pick the right vendors, if we don't grow it responsibly, then you know our brand uh, equity drops because quality drops. Correct. And I'm totally uninterested in that, you know, and I'm not in a situation like we have no debt. Yeah. I don't. So it's like, what can we do responsibly to grow the company? And it can't just be production growth. It also has to be innovation. Cause you know, like you said, we have this big team of engineers and they love working at the company, but if all we do is focus on innovation for three, four or five years, they're going to get bored and want to work somewhere else. So we have to challenge them. Yes. And, and, and part of their challenge is also the production because, you know, when you make it, when, when you get everybody invested in the company and the products, it's their baby. So they want to see that. So production tooling, working with, you know, now that we have an assembly staff and all this, working with them. But then there's also, okay, what's the new product and how do we pick it? And then to me, you know, like that's my job. And, you know, like recently and I saw like internet scuttlebutt that, <laughs> Anything that I do, I like that term scuttlebutt. Now. Yeah, it's, I'm gonna it's use like it. it's like sinister. But you know, I resigned as the CEO and the chairman of the board, and I'm the chief marketing officer and the chief innovation officer. Which, by the way, you told me about so long before it was posted on the memes. Oh yeah, that like I found it hilarious because it was like breaking news, blah blah blah. And I read that, and I just kind of put my phone down. I was like, man, I need. Oh, that investors that forced me. Or I, I, yeah, it's it was like, just some craziness, hey, some hey, crazy jackass. stuff. Hey, you 28-year-old jackasses that write this stuff. Like, let me teach you about business. It was crazy. I man. own 70% of the company. I own all the voting shares. No one can force me out of my company. No one. Um, I control the company from beginning to end. But what I don't do is I don't micromanage. And for me, every company, we've experienced accelerated growth, and now we're in our fourth year of business, and we're a couple years ahead of schedule. Um, we need to grow the company. I'm not really great at that. Like, my job and my interest is really innovation and then making people want to buy our products. So I love marketing, and I love the innovation. Like, I don't care about the daily business. That doesn't mean, like, I make sure everyone's taken care of because I care about the customers and I care about the consumer or the consumer and the employees. I don't care about anybody else. And I don't care, like, what somebody that works at another company that posts anonymously says about me or my personal life. Like, 
you know, like from a business standpoint, like you can't judge me. What what have you ever done of note? Like I, I'm pretty comfortable. Like I, I'm a fucking American overachiever. I should not have accomplished stuff I've already done. So to me, if I quit working today, I've already accomplished plenty for me to be satisfied. But you can't stop because it's not in your nature. No. It's not, it's not in people's nature to, to stop when they do it. And it's very difficult. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to talk about people um, from from the internet and from like an ivory tower of some kind, you know, it's easy to say words. It's harder to do stuff. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it is. But you know, to me, I, I will risk it all. I will risk everything I've ever done to accomplish the next thing. And I think there's a lot of people who can relate to that. And I, and I think with my employees, like when I think about, I can't imagine half the time what my employees think like halfway. Like who knows when people work for you, you, well, they're going to tell you what you want to hear That's sometimes. Right. So you never know. But it's yeah. like, there's, you know, however many people we have at the company, I'm probably smarter than two or three people. And everyone else. And I remember in my Remington trial where, you know, Remington owed me a bunch of money and they basically fired me to try to avoid paying me millions of dollars. And the guy who was my boss way smarter than me. But, well, number one, he's character flawed, he's dishonest, he's a criminal. Very well educated, very charming, very charismatic. Like I would relate him to like Bill Clinton. His name's Jason Shabba. And mm-hmm. it was offensive to him. And he was so well spoken and just had a great sales pitch and he, you know. Um it was offensive to him that I made way more money than him. And he was so offended, he was willing to like set me up, throw me out of, have me thrown out of my company to take my salary, control my company and my bonus. And he did. And ultimately I prevailed in court and ultimately the company failed and he was gone because, you know, the A's always work for the B's. And, you know, there's, there are so many people at my company who were so brilliant that could accomplish anything they want. But, you know, it takes, it takes more than that. And they're never going to. They're never going to go out on their own and do their own thing. They would never be successful. But they can be where I am. And they can, uh, just like I've been able to do, like overachieve. They're all overachieving right now collectively, no matter how brilliant they are. It's like they're adverse to risk or like whatever those There's things so are. There's so many smart people, the, man. They don't understand the market. They don't understand marketing. Oh my they God. don't understand. There's so many. But they're so brilliant. Like our engineering team, if we come up with something that everyone is passionate about, which is pretty easy because they all fucking love guns, and they understand the objectives. And when I, when I talk to them, like if we're dealing, like we're dealing with the military now at a pretty elite level and on a couple projects, and they have that input, direct input, the engineers do. So that's what gets them excited. But ultimately, you know, and I've been able to kind of cultivate this over time, you have to understand, I make the indecision because what you want to do for them is great. And it is the thing, but if it doesn't translate to the commercial market, then you can only spend this much of your time on it. Because, you know, I got to make money. Like, that's great that we all want to save the world. And we've been a part of that now. I mean, for contracts, years. Have, contracts have budgets. Yeah. And, and it's like, <laughs> Unfortunately. Well, we can develop, because I have confidence in them to develop anything we want to do. But it's like, well, okay, so we all have this many hours collectively left to work in our lives. And we have this many projects we could do, which exceeds those hours by probably tenfold. 
So my job is to pick the projects that we work on. And of course, like I would love to be a part of killing every terrorist in my lifetime. Absol- whatever absolutely. Degree, would fucking love it. I also want to be able for my engineers, for their kids to be able to go to college, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's like a balance, right? Yeah. I want to be around for our customers in 20 years if they need service on a product. So balancing all these things. And I think I've done a good job of that with them. And so it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. these guys come to us constantly now because we do a lot of innovation for a lot of companies and stuff now. And it's like, what are the things that are really sustainable and that are helpful to the company and the industry? And, you know, and the military, but it's like eight, six is a prime example. That's a military project. And the, the, the discussions, I've, I just want to say the discussions I've had so far with the engineers about that and what's going on behind the scenes, like it's unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about stuff that hasn't been done before. Yeah. And so when, when people talk about wildcat wildcat rounds, oh, yeah. I always find 375 it funny. Raptors. Yeah. So stuff like that. Happen. It's like, oh, cool. You can put a bullet in a, in a casing and you can get some good ballistics. Cool. Well, mm-hmm. what if you want to do X, Y, Z with it? And oh, and what about this? What if you want to do something with it that's never been done in small, a small arm? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? And then, then like you, if you sit around a table with a bunch of PhDs and you ask them that, well, they're going to say, well, give us a, give us a year. And then if you ask Q, what would, would they say? Well, well give us a year. Because mm-hmm. who else is going to – you can't just do it right away. Right away. No. And I know that now because of the conversations I've had you know, with, 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 with your guys. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know. I don't want to, I'm not going to say, I don't want to say things that's not public. And so, so I'm kind of tiptoeing around the issue. But I guess yeah. the, my point is that, that it, there, there are things happening that are important from a technical standpoint. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, when, you, when you get to pull the curtain back and look, there's a reason we're a leader and people are copying us. Yes. And, and, when you, mean, that's, and that's just the commercial stuff that's been released. But when you think about something that people know about, like 8-6, and the reasons it's taking a while, the reasons we're doing certain things, why it is very complicated, and why, and to me, almost most importantly, and, and I don't say that that I don't really still appreciate and fully support the military aspect of what we do and how important that is for our nation. This um, whiskey, man. Are you sure? You, do you want to borrow some of this? I feel like I'm... <laughs> no, I got, I got like five more bottles. Oh, okay, because it's like really good. <laughs> uh, I got you too much ice. It's too hot at all. Um, That's all right, man. So... so but what's interesting with that, with me, was that was a project, and the military actually really wanted one thing initially. And I thought, and I think when I say IQ, we, we collectively thought our route was 20% different. It was better for them, even though they didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And it would service the commercial industry way better. Because, you know, to me, I, yeah, I love, like, I want them to shoot bad guys with it. Like, I want to see the pictures. I want to have a party when they do it. Like, I want to high-five them. I fucking love it. Yeah. All right? And, and when they retire and write their books, I love getting the signed copies and saying thanks for the help for, like, shooting dude in the head. It's like, cool when people use your product. It is. But what I want, you know, just like you love hunting, I love hunting. Yeah. This changes hunting in the, well, around the world, but this changes hunting. Full stop. Full stop. Changes the way we're going to hunt. I mean, I know that I'm gonna like it, it's. I mean, there's so much there's so much potential. I, I hunt in South oh. Texas. Oh my God! 
It's so good. I don't even know what it's to say so right good. now because it, I don't want to spill the it, beans. Yeah, it's but like, it's so exciting. And then everybody's like, just our last night, blah, blah, blah. And then That's you, never going to come. 8.6 is so hard. Oh, Kevin, you know, <laughs> it's just a marketing thing. I'm going to use 375 rap. Like, you do whatever you want. We are going to annihilate everything. I mean, you can buy so, multiple guns. It's you know, cool. It, just it, buy one later, but you're going to buy it eventually. Yeah, and what I love now <laughs> is every major gun company is going to do it. Every silencer company, every ammo company. And I tell you, that gets me... It makes me feel better than even when I go to the bank every two weeks. When, you know, when I see the people that anonymously, or a few that'll even use their names, like attack us or make comments about the company or me personally, when I'm dictating your life because you're copying and you're designing stuff to what we're doing. And that's the yeah. greatest feeling. So anyway, that's a bunch of tangents. What about... So what are you doing now? You decided to do some stuff for the industry. What yes. are you doing? Why you? Why are you doing it? Well, um, I I've, I've been in the silencers for a while. Um, actually, I got in the silencers probably back when Silencer Talk was like when when Rob Silver's was running Silencer Talk. You know, everyone <laughs> so knows. funny because nobody's even gonna know that. And yeah. Yeah, but Rob, Rob is a he, he's a great artistic guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if he's listening, I'm just kidding, Rob. It, Robert, don't, well, don't, you're don't, not though. Yeah, I'm not kidding because I'm. Yeah, I, it takes is. one to know one. Yeah. But yeah, Rob, um, Robert's awesome and all. He's of a ways. cool dude. Um, he, he he Robert did a lot of stuff that he didn't have to do, just because he. Yeah he wanted to which is yeah. like I think his contribution as a whole to the industry just because of him providing a platform for people to talk about it was pretty big well even the work that he did for us like 300 blackout would not yes. have been successful without Robert Silvers I'll say that yes um, Robert was independently wealthy Robert is Invented it, invented photo mosaic software. Yes. By the way, if anyone's ever seen if anyone's ever seen like a picture of Homer Simpson, and the pictures made up of other pictures of Homer Simpson, like a like a fractal, that was Robert. Yeah, Robert. You, you know, and like, if you go into Target, you can buy his puzzles in there still. He's like a he's he's a, he's an amazing person. Yeah, it's crazy. And he's I think he's the only photographer ever to do the cover of like and I'm I'm making this up, but I think it's like Newsweek. It might be Time. No, not Time. Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, and like Time and Playboy or something. Something like. crazy. Yeah, he's like the only guy to ever do that. MIT grad. Yeah, he yeah, yeah he actually did photo mosaic as his, one of his graduate degrees. Yes. So. He, um, and then he wanted to become famous in guns. And he's such an odd guy, but like he wanted credit. And so we, we actually, even in advanced armament, I gave him credit for a lot of things he didn't do because that's what he wanted instead of money, which is kind of a weird thing. But it's like, that was his ego. But no one else could ever work with Robert in the world in our industry. But like I admired Robert and he was easy to dislike personally. Absolutely. But he's one of those guys to me if you didn't admire Robert, then you're lying to yourself. You it's kind of like, or do you know what you're talking about? Yeah, or when people say stuff about the honey badger or the fix and downplay it, it's like, well, you're either lying or you're ignorant, because, and that's the way I viewed Robert. You know, I I was in a meeting with the most elite special operations group in the entire world, in the history of the world, and Robert was there with me, and they told me if I ever brought him back, they would kill him. I could see that, and. He had he couldn't even understand it, you know. And it's like, yeah, well, just because you're right, asshole, doesn't mean <laughs> doesn't mean you need to say it. So yeah, anyway, so I, a yeah, cool guy. So I, but you he, know, yeah, he started and ran. Silence he he ran Sponsor Talk. I, you know, I always talk with those uh, a lot of the folks that that are in the industry now that people know about. We're on yeah, there because he was a nerd and he just wanted to test silencers, and it was because he bought some silencers mm -hmm. that. And this is, this, I'm gonna interrupt. Again, yeah, 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 yeah. But 
because now I'm remembering the story. He bought, and I won't say his name because he's a friend of both of ours, silencers from somebody Mm -hmm. who's a pretty nice guy who made claims that were not correct. And Robert bought several of those and got them and was so fucking offended. He would be. He bought a sound meter and he, just to show him he was full of shit. He would be offended. And then started testing silencers and then he was independently wealthy. So he bought like a hundred silencers and just test them all. And so then silencer talk turned to silencer review or. I think it was the other way around. First it was silencer review, then it became silencer. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone, Robert, this is what happened. He told me, he called it, this is how I met him. He called me one night. I remember my house in Atlanta. I think I just had like my first kid. And he calls me, someone had given him my number. You know, and he sounds like creepy as shit on the phone. So, so weird. <laughs> but um, I've never spoken to him on the phone. He had heard I was such an asshole that he was afraid, and he called me last. Every other company, like Jim Tech was big at the time. Phil Dater threatened to sue him. Surefire was really big in the consumer. They, people were loving it. It, was, it he, just started. It just really started, get... and we beat him in the SCAR contract. Yeah. So they, um, but he called, you know, there was only like half a dozen silencer companies at the time, and they all told him they wouldn't participate, fuck him, and a couple threatened to sue him. And he called me and was like, hey, um, and he was so nervous. And he's like, I, I have this um, forum, and I'm going to start testing silencers. I just wanted to let you know what I'm going to be doing. And blah, blah. I was like, that's fucking awesome. I love it. How can I help you? And he was so taken aback that, like, eventually, you know, we're the only ones that deal with him. We're supportive. He couldn't get silencers from other companies, so I would send him mine that I had from them. Isn't that crazy? And then eventually, once he got sick of testing, and so then they would say I was paying him, which was so laughable because Robert lives on his own island. Like yeah. he, he's so wealthy, he, he, he has his own island. Yeah, he's like one of the richest, craziest gun dudes that has ever been alive, I think. Probably, yeah. And people don't even understand. when people. So, so like Phil Dater, who was a total piece of shit, and everybody liked him because he's very nice to their face. And... You know, like, everybody likes Mike Pappas, and he's a very nice guy, and I like Mike. But, yeah, but Phil Dater would, would act that way, but he was a lying, stabbing, like, backstabbing, thieving piece of shit. And, you know, he threatened Robert, and he didn't understand, like, because Phil Dater is the, the heir to the Coleman Sporting Goods fortune. So that, mm. that's a big reason, like, Phil Dater's such a self-righteous, entitled cock. Well, Robert made all of his own money, but Robert is wealthy as fuck. He can do anything he wants. Yeah. Which but, is cool that he just has silencers. Yeah. And, and I just can't get over it. He lives on his own island. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so he wanted to do silence. And then eventually he tested the silencers and he wanted to start designing silencers. Yeah. And so I was like, come to work for me. And he's like, and you know, we were smart at the time. And he's like, I don't, you know, like I, you know, I kind of told him what we could maybe what we can pay him or whatever. And he's like, I don't really need money. And he's like, I want to become famous in guns and I want to design stuff. So you just do that and then you, I can get a royalty. And so and it became cool. Like he was kind of the pet there. He would do a ton of work. And it was interesting. We had this like super high level nerd and uh, it was a good relationship for a long time. But it, you yeah. know, Robert couldn't, and, and, and I think Robert also got sick of doing a ton of work. He, he loved it, was passionate about it, but you know. You get sick of it money. when you don't have to do it. Yeah, and you don't make much money. That's right. You know. Yeah, so I did, I, I, I knew about silencers then, and I started getting into silencers more and more and more. And I, as I progressed through being a, a silencer consumer as a shooter and a hunter and just a gun guy and you know, someone who grew up you know, watching movies with silencers and thought oh, they were yeah. cool, um, I, I started to notice that um, there were some anomalies 
I, I'm using a political correct script. I, I don't need to be politically correct. I know I started noticing that there were gross errors in the way that people were reporting um, the perform the sound performance. Companies lying about the companies, but not only companies, but even you know there have been. And I wanted to say this, and I've, I, I, on my website, PeaceScience.com, I, I, I wrote an open letter to the industry, and in that, I, I recognize that there are people in the, in the acoustics, acoustics community, the blast community, the firearms community that have made incredible strides toward measurement uh, with their own money. Like, Robert was one of them. Yeah. There's, um, there's a guy named Bill... Um, he runs his own forum. It's a very small forum called NFA Talk. Um, he uses some old BNK analog meters, whatever. He's he's made tr tremendous like grassroots like contributions over the years. Yeah. Um, there there was a guy named John Titsworth. I think we all know. Oh John. yeah, John. Yeah. John. I uh, like John he, very much. He, he's a nice guy. He he made an effort. Um, but other than that, there really wasn't anything independent outside manufacturing. So. Um, I had the idea for a long time, probably about 10 years I had the idea, but you know, I was busy working. Yeah. And so I was like, well, and so finally, um, I took a time off of guns completely. Like other than like carrying my, my Glock 19 every day, I didn't read about guns. I didn't buy guns. I went through some personal stuff in my life that. Yeah. It just wasn't a priority. It wasn't a priority for me because I had other things to focus on. And so within the past couple of years, I got back into guns. Yeah. With a vengeance, because now I make more money. I had a little bit more time. I was more stable in my career, in my personal life. Yeah, so you feel better personally. I feel better. I was like, you know what? Interest. I'm going to get back to my hobby. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you wanted to feel good again. I, I wanted to feel good, good, good again. So I got into it. And, well, you know, I knew uh, Henry Graham. From nice guy. Great guy. Um, you know, worked for Joe Gadini. Yeah, then he took over SWR from Joe. And went to Silencer Went, went to Silencer Co. They fired him. And then yeah. he, he started Rugged. And all I knew, like I never owned one of your silencers. I never owned an AAC silencer. I never owned, I, I had some SWR silencers, I had some other silencers, and I, I remember how good Henry had treated me customer service wise. This yeah, is he, from a consumer. He is, he is, he is an so focused. Nice guy. And incredibly I think he nice. took a lot of that from Joe Godini because Joe is so customer focused too. He's very, like, yeah, Joe, if, if, Joe, Joe's a sweetheart. You know what I mean? And you know, so, you know, Joe only lives like 10 minutes. From I know, I haven't texted him yet. I, I, I need to see him before well, I leave. We could go see him today. Yeah. Because he doesn't leave his house. He's like such an old weirdo. He's cool. <laughs> yeah. We'll live right over there and see him. Yeah. So, like, I, uh, I needed some silencers and I was about to buy um, a, mach uh, a 556 machine gun, like a transferable. M16 and I was like, well, dang, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need some silencers for it. And I was like, well, I know Henry's probably making some stuff. I didn't really, it's, which is unlike me. It, this is unlike me. I didn't do complete due diligence and research. Yeah. What I did was I went with what I knew. Yeah, sure. And I bought a bunch of Henry's cans, which are high quality. Yeah. Oh yeah. And his stuff looks great. It, it looks, quality. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It, it sounds quiet. It, um, some of them are heavy, but they're heavy for a reason. I mean, it's in the name rugged. They're, they're doing something, you know, they have a certain purpose built thing. They're doing stuff. So I did that. And you know, some of them were quiet. Some of them weren't, I, I got that. And I still, I started buying more silencers, started getting more into it. I started working with silencer shop kind of like with their marketing department and kind of to try to understand more about the industry after I got into some other outdoor activities in the outdoor industry with, with um, some other companies, just trying to expose myself to get into like, what, what do I need to do to make a difference? What do I, what can I do with my knowledge to help new shooters, to help existing shooters, to help yeah. companies advance? And eventually I was like, there's no, 
there's no data that's right. None. And not only is there no data that's right, um, like, regularly, there's no data that's right uh, anywhere. Like, when I say anywhere, mm -hmm. like, I don't, I actually don't think, like, I know internally some companies do some stuff. I know that SIG and, and some military, some people with military contracts with a military organization and government organizations have tested silencer with, with different arrays of microphones and different configurations. I understand all that. But I realized that, um, and I know there's some com commercial systems, so I said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to do this myself. So I built a system called PewSoft. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it's a, the, the name is just what it sounds. It's, it's just a, it's a dumb name, but it, uh, it's exactly what it does. It is a custom, fully featured data acquisition system explicitly created to measure impulsive gunshot sound. Yeah. And it does this at a very high data acquisition rate, um, you know, a, a million samples per second. So it, 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 it gets data from the sensors once every microsecond. It's very fast. And, and because be, it, 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 you need that because the gunshots, um, they occur over actually a much longer period of time. Yeah, but, but to capture the actual behavior, a lot of people think um, you can capture the peak with slower meters and that's all that matters. But what, I'm tr what I tried to do, I said, well, I don't want to just do what people or other people are doing. I don't want to just measure the peak. What I want to do is I want to sample fast enough so I get the correct shape of the wave over time, because once you have the entire data stream, you can then learn, well, how does that impact the human ear? Yeah. So I wrote a standard, <clears throat> so I wrote a standard for it. Uh, well, I mean, it makes <laughs> sense. I mean, when you, when you think about like uh, hearing damage, and it can be like a very fast impulse sound, Yeah. or like whether it's a concert, or it's a jackhammer, or a chainsaw, things with a long duration and a lower sound, that's you know, these things probably cause lots more hearing damage for Absol the average American than a Absolutely. Sound. You know, when, when folks th look at those technical noise limits, they always hear about things like 140 dB is hearing safe. Yeah, it's all marketing. And, yeah, you know, that's why we sort of exited that because, you, you know, I've probably sound metered, I don't know how many silencers, but it's got to be thousands. Yeah. And... I know what I want to build now. And, and if it's a military requirement... And they write something, then that's what we'd make it to. But sure. otherwise, if it's a commercial requirement, I think, you know, if I've got 70,000 hours of doing my job, I don't need anybody else to tell me. Like, I should only get paid by my company for my position as an employee, not a board member, but an employee, uh, if I contribute. And so part of what I do, pick projects, but then also... You, you know, with my engineers, they don't ever know what to build. I say, hey, let's build a 5.56 can. They just stare at me. They're like, okay, we need a priority list. And so I have to pick that. And so, like, what's important? And now sound, you know, where there's a couple companies, I chase sound for 10 or 15 years. And I have a good understanding of it. And I've metered so many silencers. I generally, even with my hearing loss, don't need a sound meter. That's what Adam was telling me about him yesterday. He was saying when we were, we, we were talking about the Erector 9, yeah. which is freaking cool and uh we were talking we were just talking about in general and he he was saying he was like yeah you know i can when we make changes you know i'm hearing it and i'm like well nope not nope let's not go that way yeah because he can tell yeah well you know he, he can tell and if you shoot enough well, like when i picked the jumbo shrimp 
you know, we wanted to be hearing safe, you know, mm -hmm. and we just pick mill standard and shooter's ear mm -hmm. at certain barrel lengths with certain ammo or whatever. And then it's like, well, what's our goal? This is a hunting silencer, or it's going to be a silencer people use for competition, recreational shooting. What's the general barrel length on six fives? And what do I want with a hunting silencer? Like, I want to not notice that there's a silencer on my gun, like physically. And then when I shoot, I want it if, and there's also things like adrenaline, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of excitement. When I shoot, I want to not notice the shot. And so then it's like, okay, can we build quieter silence? Like, we can go down this list. Yeah, does it matter? Like, what does a consumer want? And for me, like, you're a consumer, I'm a consumer. I consume our products at Q. Yeah. I consume other companies' products. And do it. Okay, if we build the quietest thing ever, does it change anyone's life? But if I add 10 ounces to the silencer and $1,000 to it, does that change? That changes a lot of things. That's correct. And, and so well, uh, you see with our silencer line, either you have complete modularity where you do anything you want. We'll make the quietest thing, or you can make it the loudest thing if you want. But it's the smallest thing and everywhere in between. And then with the rifle silencer stuff, you normally see two links. And something that is reasonable in length and, and weight, size, all these things are important, mounting system, and it's incredibly quiet. Or do you need something for hunting or competition shooting and you want the smallest thing on the gun uh, that's adequate sound suppression? And, and, and two, and I, I say it a bunch of times and I'll say it now and then let you continue, it's, it's like we kind of bowed out of posting all the sound numbers because of companies like Griffin or... I would even say Dead Air or CGS or like any of these other companies because as soon as we post a number, if it's legitimate and it surpasses what they do, they change their numbers. So they'll lie. Or, you know, they'll go and build a silencer that's a foot long and weighs 30 ounces and costs $2,000 so they can say they have the quietest thing. Like, you keep doing that. See how many of those you sell. Well, it, it's funny because... Um you can make a peak DB number say anything you want it to yeah. because um, it's so fast. It, it's happening so quickly. And unfortunately, um, all of the methods that people have been publishing, that all the numbers that people publish, they're from the, – they're numbers that are created from a system that is doing it's, – it's not fan it's not sampling fast enough, so it's not getting the true peak. Yeah, you're not getting the peak. And even when they turn off the weighting and they put Z weighting, which is unweighted, it's actually not really unweighted. It's actually still filtering internally in the system. And so what that does is not only is it truncating a little bit of the peak on some of the peaks, but it's actually shifting the waveform in time. And the, the oscillations of the waveform actually don't line up with reality. And so... I know this is it's a very technical thing to talk about, but it's important because there is a way to know how loud something is, and it's not just the peak. Um, if you look, at, if you actually read the mill standard, and you look at it, um, they they mention um, the Army Army Research Laboratory, and they say, hey, you know, you can use the hearing models with your data, and you can let people know how many shots per day are damaging if you want. I mean, it's in the standard and no one did that. So I was like, well, okay, well, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So I called ARL because I've worked with ARL before. 
yeah. I mean, I, I used to work with Army Research Laboratory on large caliber ammunition. Yeah. So I called some of some of the, um, I had some contacts there. Some of them have moved on in the past years, you know, but some of them are still there and they knew who I worked with. And so it kind of pays to know people sometimes, you know. Yeah, sure. So I'm like, from a Gmail account at this point, dude, I'm like, this is yeah. before I started Pew Science. I'm like emailing them like, hey, like, this is what I want to do. I'm working on small arm sound signatures. Do you think you could help me understand this part of your code? And do you think I could modify your code like this? And what do you think about this? Not only were they receptive, but they were um, encouraging to the point where like, they were like, this is, we want you to use this code. That's so cool. It's not shocking to me because I think people that are that smart, like there's a large percentage that want to do something with it. And if they can't do it and they're both, you know, like they don't have the time or the funding, but to see somebody else do it and you might come up with something that's helpful to them. Yeah. And so that's what I think that's what they were getting. One of their statements to me was, and I quote, um, we're excited to see what you can do to help the warfighter. Yeah. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's really cool. Cause I was just thinking I was going to help consumers, but yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's what I realize yeah. <laughs> most all. If it's a company like, you know, Dead Air or Griffin or, or whoever, where they've not had any contact with the military, um, and they don't understand what's going on, there, there is a huge overlap. And, and, and I've mentioned it a lot before, and that was one thing with 8.6. Like, I love date 6, just the idea of shooting quietly. And I loved 8-6 because, you know, we, we told, we started working with the military on it. And then they became very interested once they saw what you saw. And now they're wanting to drive the program. It's like, well, I own this. Like, I don't want your funding and you're not involved. And I want to make something that does what you want. But most of the time, even at that level, the guys that want to push it, they don't really know what they want. Oh, I, uh, I had some candid conversations with you that we don't need to go into yeah. about a client with my... Sometimes the government doesn't know what they want, and you got to help them understand. Yeah, and then I think, too, because yeah. of the way I relate it, it's probably how you do now. It's like, that's all cool, but if we can kill, like, 300-pound pig with it or a 210-pound <laughs> whitetail or a 300-pound black bear... Game changer. We're going to be able to kill a 160-pound bad guy. Like, this ain't... A, this is easy. And do it quieter than normal. Yeah, and, and so let's... Uh, so let's do it that way. Um, and, and I think those are some advantages. But yeah, the, you know, but what I've understood at, at the level that where we work with guys, they understand that they're not, it's not always beneficial financially for me to work with them. Mm -hmm. So they want things to be successful commercially. And they understand yeah. the benefits to them because then they can get, you know, they have access to it without going through traditional army channels. Or Absolutely. Whatever. So, you know, in doing all this, um, you know, I talked to, like, I, so I, I spent a lot of time developing the methodology, the, uh, the code, checking it, te doing testing on my own days and nights, annoying my girlfriend with talking about sponsors every day of the week. Um, yeah. And uh, you can imagine, bless her heart, oh my yeah, God. Been there. And um, finally, um, it became apparent that I was going to have to do it myself. Um, yeah. And, and uh, that was a little scary to me because I had never gone off on my own like that, um, you know, ever since like mowing lawns as a kid. This was like yeah. a different thing, right? Sure. So I, I thought to myself, well, what's the best way to relate a super complicated thing to consumers, but at the same time, show the credibility that the data is correct so they don't doubt it and, 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 and throw it in the bin of like all the other failed attempts that yeah. other people have done. So I came up with one number 
the, the, the suppression rating and, and I did it on a zero to hundred scale and it has nothing to do with, it has something to do with decibels, but what it really is, is the shock dose scale. So like, you know, you throw around this hearing safe yeah, metric. What, what, what do you mean? So shot dose, like let's say um, you have a weapon, a small arm weapon system like a bolt action rifle. Yeah. And you have a silencer on it and you're a deer hunter. Yep. And you, you, you want to go buy a, 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 a silencer for it and you say, well, gosh, I'm going to be using my, my weapon system to take a white-tailed deer and I'm probably going to do that um, twice this weekend. I need to take a doe and a buck. Um, for, but first I have to sight in because I've got a new scope. I say, okay, how many shots are you going to shoot with it? Well, um, you know, if I'm good, maybe I'll use five shots to zero it. If I screw up, hopefully I only need one or two. Yeah. Maybe I'll use mm -hmm. five. And, and God willing, I only need one shot per deer. I say, okay, well, you're shooting less than 10 shots. Cool. We've defined your use case. That is your, your requirement. Forget about weight for now. Forget about durability. For sound... Yeah. We've defined your, your customer requirement as a consumer. Yeah, I love it so far. Okay. So, okay, cool. Well, what if you could go to a catalog of silencers and you went to a scale and between a certain scale, you could see in that zone, the silencer is rated for sound to not damage your ears permanently with shooting without hearing protection in that shot regime over a 24 hour period, you know? So like if you're, if you go out and That's you shoot, wonderful. if you shoot 10 shots and you know you can shoot 10 shots safely without, you know, and I say safely, this is like 95 percentile human hearing, human ear. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some, there's some slop in it. I've, yeah. made, a little, I've made this conservative too, because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to like blow well, people's yeah, ears I mean, out. No, there's variables. There's, yeah. there's variables, but, and, and that's all detailed on the website. People can dig in if they want. But if you had that, then that would give you some, at least some confidence to, to know that if you're taking your little boy or little girl out shooting and you want to instruct them on to shoot that white tail behind the shoulder, to take a deep breath, relax, squeeze that trigger, don't jerk it, be in the blind, be present with nature, understand the respect for the game you're about to take, and you want to focus on all those things and you don't want to have hearing protection on, which is why we use silencers, you yeah. can know you're not going to blow out your little kid's hearing shooting that gun and that alone that that's why i'm doing this man. yeah that's wonderful and it works it's wonderful <laughs> I, I, I love to hear you articulate it you know and it's it, it's i always relate that when people ask me about should i get the trash pen or thunder chicken this shorter yes. or the longer side and i'm like well if it's just me i use the the trash panda sure if, if i'm with my children we use the thunder chicken you're gonna be yeah. shooting more shots and you know what and and, and their hearing to me yeah. is more precious than mine Exactly, and, and as you know, you know, you use the example of a bolt-action rifle. I mean, every silencer test that I release on the website, and it's all free for people to see most of it, you know, they see the main rating there. One thing I did recently is I added some stuff to it because I wanted to make sure consumers really understood. I even gave a rating at the muzzle and the ear in the graphic. There's a little subtext. So you can say, well, if you're a buddy with a spotting scope, I was yeah. talking to some of your engineers. Uh, they went on a prairie dog hunt. They all had fixed oh rifles. God. They were shooting, and Killed they so many. Prairie and and dogs. Nick Nick told me he was sitting. He was shooting um, next to Drew, and they were shooting with the fixed rifles in six five. With with um, I think I think Nick uses a, a half Nelson. Yeah, and 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 he was a little bit close to Drew's muzzle with his ear. Yeah, and he quickly realized that he needed to move back or move to a different vector so that he wasn't damaging his hearing from Drew's weapon. 
Well, the suppression rating lets you do that because on every review I offer a, a one meter left of the muzzle number and a six inches right of the shooter's right ear number and that is key to the dose chart on the website. Oh, yeah. So you That's can take perfect. that number, go to the, it's color-coded, dude. It's so easy. You go, you don't even have to look at the- Because I was gonna say, numbers. it's gonna be a thing for you. Like, yeah. you're so into this and so nerdy about it. Yeah. To relate it to the general consumer, I just had to make it be yeah. easy. I added colors, I put it on, a, and I added labels. <laughs> so I'll be able to use it then. Yeah, so it's basically, it basically, um, and I'm doing this from memory, I might butcher it, but people can follow along at home if they want. It basically, if you look at the scale, it starts off with like, super loud. Self-defense, if you need to use the gun, just use it. And yeah, you, you might it's, blow out your ears after a couple shots, but, but it might be worth it. Better than nothing. Yeah. Better than nothing, and it goes all the way up to like, so quiet that you can shoot so many thousands of rounds that you might as well not even, like a, a bolt action 22, it doesn't hit 100. It's not the quietest thing ever, but it's super freaking quiet. Yeah. And that's what and it does. And I think with my hearing loss too, like I shoot bolt action 22s almost every day and it's, I don't even hear the shot. All I hear is yeah. the firing pin. And you're right. And it's at best, like the one that, that I have here at the house, I've metered it probably 110 dB. So 10 dB over 100, you know, and it's still, it doesn't even make sense for me to make it any quieter from, from my there is, there is a, there's a point, like, um, there's a point in the hearing damage thresholds. And, you know, but what people need to understand is, you know, we're taking real empirical data. Like, we're measuring these actual waveforms, and then we're feeding them to analytical models. So is there some uncertainty? Yeah, dude. Any mo every model has uncertainty, because if it wasn't, it wouldn't be a model. It'd be real. And unfortunately, we have to model things we can't, like... The government frowns upon us taking a bunch of human subjects and blowing out their ears with test, with, 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 with test ammunition, but they have done that, and a lot of the data they got from those tests is in the models, and that's what I'm using. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some tests in Albuquerque they did a long time ago that we used to calibrate them. I mean, this is, this is real stuff. Like, we, you know, you take the human ear. Um, there's things, like, people ask me all the time. They say, well, that's cool, Jay. I understand the sound, but you know what? This silencer sounds a, has a deeper tone. I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm like, well, why is could that? Be, it could be your hearing loss. Yeah, but it actually, but we've, we've also quantified that in our research. That's awesome. I mean, and, and we're... Because we're I always think a yeah. lot of that is sort of marketing. But, you, you know, like we actually use the sound meter at work all the time. It's super rare for me to use it anymore. Yeah. Because, yeah, just the experience. And I'll use competitive stuff or known standards. So like the... the Something uh, you know is quiet. The or erector or uh, the, the Element 22 silencer we did advance was so far ahead of its time. And I haven't even tested that one. So, so the, I hear it's quiet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, and that was 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. So it was, it was 10 dB quieter at mill standard sure. than most of the silencers on the market at the time. And the Tyrant 9 is another. I've never metered until the um, Erector 9 that you saw yesterday. I've never metered a 9mm pistol silencer quieter than Tyrant 9. Nothing that's on the market now. And we so did that crazy. 10 or 12 years ago. I was talking to Adam. He was like, because I was telling him, I was like, you know, I, I, I've been wanting to test a Tyrant 9. And I don't have one. And I'm still progressing with my testing, obviously. Um, and I'm sure I could get a Tyrant 9 from Silencer Shop. But I, I don't even know if they still make it or But you, they don't make the original one that's not modular, that's I don't think. so good. So, like, he told me, he was like, well, dude, we'll... You can just test our Tyrant 9 and test yeah. the Erector 9. And I was like, well, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And it's cool because it's going to show, like, because you know what? There that's the standard for me. I use yeah. the MP5SD. I use the Tyrant 9. I use the Element silencer. I use, what do I use for 30 cal? I can't remember. But for, like, 10 years, I've got standards of 
what I use. And some of the rifle stuff has progressed. And when we went to inch and three quarters and now everybody kind of does that, that's yeah. progressed some. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and that's what we did with Advanced Armor. I've said it before in podcasts, you know, what I did back then is we were developing a lot of stuff for the government and they would help fund a lot of things. But I would have, you know, uh, a couple guys or a few guys work on one of those nonstop for a year. And so all of the R&D, all of the prototypes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's how we went from like the Evolution 9, which was a 134, 32 dB, maybe it was quieter than everything else out there. And we go to like 126 or seven mil standard with the Tyrant 9. You know, and the Tyrant 9, I always tell everybody, it was a huge failure. We were trying to get to 120 dB. Yeah. And we just, we had a certain amount of time and resource and we tried and we failed. And it's one of the best failures I've ever had. But you know, that R&D that you were doing, you were you had a contract, right? That yeah. you, you were funded and that's like, um, Nick, your engineer Nick yesterday, he 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 didn't know what Pew Science was like. He had not seen because we, we we hadn't talked about it. We were we were just talking about the fixed stuff, and yeah. he was like he was like wait, he because he's talking about data acquisition now. He's super interested in it. We were talking about it, and he was like wait, like you're just doing this, like you're just doing it like by yourself. And I was like yeah, and he's like oh. I was like, yeah, so like I, you know, there, people can contribute. I mean, they can, they don't have to. People can like pay a monthly fee and that funds the research that I'm doing. But like, I don't have like a government contract to do this. So like, I'm doing something that like, it takes R&D super hard oh, to begin yeah. with. But like the, the amount of money, like if I were to pay myself, like if I were to pay an engineer to do what I did, like, I don't know if I oh, could get, I don't know if I could get a loan to cover that. Yeah. I mean, it cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars to have. Yeah, I don't want another mortgage right now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, be, yeah. People don't realize, but you know, I think you said a couple things there. It is like number one, and it sucks because anytime that you do something that a manufacturer doesn't agree with, they're going to criticize you, even though so far so good. You're doing like <laughs> nonprofit, maybe I don't know, but <laughs> you know, we're all all of us are functioning for profit, so it's kind of a shitty thing. But then, too, I think even with our company, nobody there gives a fuck what anybody else is doing. They really like, don't, like, which is crazy. Everybody obsesses about us. Not a single one of those guys except, you know, like the meme stuff will get sent to them or whatever sometimes. Or, you know, like my personal shit. But, yeah, like, we're so comfortable and confident in what we're doing. And they're all, like, obviously, as you saw, gun guys. They all hunt and shoot. We don't, like... People ask, what's the competition for the fix? Or what is our company's competition? And I'm like, I don't think we have one. Like, I don't know what the competition would be for the fix. And we don't care. Like, people will copy it, like SIG's copying it and stuff. And, you know, when you heard Nick talking about that, like, none of us even give a shit. But where yeah. it becomes annoying is when they accuse, like, when they'll say whether it's, you know, some of the little haters <laughs> or, or oh, SIG is a company with their PR people try to say that, you know, well, Kevin developed that at SIG. That was like, damaging to, to me as a consumer. For SIG. Because basically not, what you're doing is yeah, saying that that's not good. Nick and Ethan and myself, that we're liars. We talked, we talked a lot about that last night with Nick. Yeah, and that, that's that, that was a really big deal. Because, I didn't you like know, that. like, we're comped in what we do, and we know SIG will fuck it up, or whoever else is going to copy it. And we have IP where it's important on the gun. But, yeah. you know, the idea, we don't need your credit. Like, we're not looking for some NRA golden ring trophy thing. And we don't need the industry to give us credit for it. You know, and we know from the industry there's so much, like, jealousy and hatred and stuff. Like, we'll never get credit for anything in the industry. And none of us give a fuck. 
but don't like yeah don't lie about it don't you know don't call my engineers liars or thieves like that's it not was super crazy man when we were talking like i had talked to actually when nick and i stay late together just doing nerd shit um we talked about the fix and i asked him candidly because like i wanted his story from his mouth and i don't want to i'm not going to give details right now to put him on, like on blast you know and and he that dude's such a good dude uh-huh. and he's so honest and honestly like he doesn't care about what people think or say because he knows what has gone on he knows the truth he knows what he's done and he told me he was like you know what if this was the biggest flop ever and i've heard you say the same thing if this is the biggest flop ever we'll just do something else and it'll be good too yeah and it's like whatever like and that's what I was thinking about. And I wanted to say this something. That's true. I wanted to circle back to something I said earlier with regard to people who've done sound testing. I actually forgot to mention someone, and I meant to bring this up earlier, Al Paulson. Al Paulson, yeah. Because I never, I've never met Al. And, like, he's probably the dude that, like, I would look up to the most in small arms sound measurement because, like, he's the guy that, like, published actual books about it and, like, yeah. has done... I mean, I'm there not. There was no money in it. I'm. For him. I'm not saying that other people that have done independent testing were biased. I'm really not saying that, and I'm. I'm not talking shit about Titsworth. I'm not talking shit about Silvers or anyone. Like I don't. I want everyone to know that like, openly because I know how people twist yeah. words. Oh yeah. But I will say that like Paulson, you know, I, is he is he still around? I haven't talked to him in probably fifteen or twenty years, fifteen years, but he, um, you know, I hated it for him. He he never got any money for it. You know. Magazines would pay him a couple hundred dollars for articles. And like Jim Tech, Phil Dater was the worst in our industry. He was a backstabbing, lying, um, just, he was the original like uh, Josh Parker at CGS. Like just a, a little hater and just a fabricated didn't, stuff. Didn't Phil due to sound testing for, there was a magazine, was it Soldier of Fortune or Small Arms Review? I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I mean, originally he did a little sound testing, Al Paulson started doing it, and Phil was great with it, and Phil had AWC Systems Tech, and then, yes. and then Gym Tech, and they were great friends. But what happened was, I was involved with Gym Tech, and they kind of screwed me over, and I started Advanced Armament. And I took one of the designers from Gym Tech, and he and I started making stuff and designing stuff, and right away we crushed them. You know, Phil had only done cones with an integrated spacer, and we did K baffles, the first ones to do that in a 22 silencer, and crushed their cam, their integral pistol, things that were popular at the time, their 9 millimeter silencer. Um, and we just put in the R&D and improved what they were doing. Um, and made a few radical changes, but the point was when Al did articles on our stuff, and back then they'd do comparison articles and posted that we outperformed them. They threatened to sue them. They did character assassination, and then they went to Harris Publications, who was all that was Al's only income. Uh, he wrote articles for him every month um, for guns and weapons for law enforcement, special weapons for military and police, which were the two. That's big gun what acts. it was. Okay. And Phil and Jim Tech threatened to pull their, they bought half page ads in both those, they would pull their advertising if there was ever another competitive ad, that, a comparison article that showed a Gym Tech silencer being outperformed and they stopped comparison articles and it ended Al's career. Well see, that's why um, uh, 
I had talked with some pretty big industry entities when I started, when I wanted to do this to get their backing sort of not only as a buy-in for the industry to let people know my intentions, intentions were pure, but also because I thought that if I did it with other resources, I could reach consumers faster. Yeah, sure. Which would have been true. But you know, it's always compromise. It's always a compromise. So ending up having my own creative control of the company and what I'm doing, it's, I own it's the best. Thing. I own everything. The website, the systems, the test data, well, everything I do. It's one thing I appreciate about you because there are people, whether it be, you know, like CGS and other companies who pay that uh, little shit ass uh, Adam NFA review. You know, people don't realize he does these articles, he he you have to give him two free of whatever he's reviewing and then you have to pay him this was four years ago sixteen hundred dollars in cash and then he'll he'll do an article on whatever you want and say whatever you want it's it that's not useful to the consumer and i think it's to some mm. degree the same thing like sean utley who is a writer who i like for i don't know one of the ballista whatever one of the gun magazines and i like him he came to an article on me a few years ago a couple of years ago he um, did an article, so he knows all about the fix before SIG ever launched the cross. Now, SIG is a huge advertiser for his employer. So I saw Sean do a video and write an article saying how the cross was revolutionary. They came up with the concept that SIG doesn't even mention the fix. It's a direct fucking ripoff. And two of our employees, one that I fired and one that left, went back to SIG, did that gun. They have serial number 46. He knows all this and doesn't even mention it. And, yeah, and that's okay. Nick and I talked about that last and, night. And it's just uh, like, it's dishonest. So crazy. And so then like, how so do you, crazy have, like you lose your credibility and then who cares? Like if, if, if companies are paying your employer yeah. for marketing, then yeah. you want to trust what they say? Like it, it, I don't ever want to pay anyone because then it's not an honest review. Like you said, I'm never, no. you can review our stuff. I'm never going to say anything about it. I mean, you can tell and, people and I that, called you, right? And what did I say? I said, hey, Kevin, uh, first of all, nice to meet you. Second of all, um, by the way, I tested your, your trash panda and uh, kind of wanted to tell you about it because I'm about to release some numbers you've never seen before. Does, is that cool? Yeah. You're like, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm like, all right. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I've always been that way. Well, you know, Phil Dater, going back to Al Paulson, started all these rumors and would post stuff online. Al wouldn't post online. He was very adverse to conflict and all that I was paying Al. And the truth was, Jim Tech, when he posted a comparison where our 22 silencer, 9 millimeter silencer, 9 millimeter silencer outperformed them, they cut him off. I would, so I was a dealer too at the time. I would send Al Jim, new Jim Tech silencers yeah. to test, and he would write articles about them because every, every month couldn't be about advanced armament. Right. And they went around and told you know, the industry and everyone and ruined Al's career, and he just stopped doing it that I was paying him. And the truth was never paid Al a fucking dime. And that I sent Al Knight's Armament, Gemtech, all the other AWC competitor silencers at the time where he wouldn't have to travel to do it. And he could do a reason because I wanted there to be a silencer article in every magazine. Yeah, just for, just for the expanding the, the, the knowledge base. And that's why like every, every article I've published or test report or review, whatever you want to call them, every piece of research free to the public that I've published yeah. has been for a different manufacturer. I mean, some I've repeated some manufacturers, you know, cause there's so many silencers, but I keep testing, I keep publishing and people ask me like, Hey man, when are you going to get to this silencer? When are you, I was like, dude, when I do, 
Like I'm yeah. gonna test all of them eventually, and I'm gonna test probably all of them on every platform I can eventually. And that was one of the reasons for this trip. I texted you like a month ago or something. I was like, hey man, um, I've been talking to a bunch of people about 300 blackout barrel length for testing. Consumers are screaming for 300 blackout performance testing for sound, even though we know it's quiet. People want to know. They want, <laughs> know. They, they want to know, and it's fine. I get it, man. I get it. And they want to know, like, how how fat, you know, how much can I shoot it? Is is this louder? I'm like, okay, let me work on it. Let me figure out what I can do. And so I called you. I was like, hey, or I texted you. I was like, hey, like, let's, like, what do you think about barrel length? I mean, I don't want to necessarily like I want to do bolt action for one because we're doing some research on back pressure on a bolt action, which. I know like there's some sponsor companies that get really angry when I say that because they don't want to believe it, but the data's there for them to see. Um, I think we can test small arm cartridges on bolt action rifles and we can get back pressure metrics without having to have the action cycle just from looking at the waveforms. And so I have made oh, the personal- Yeah, that was my question. Was yeah. Why would you do it? Well, so I've made my personal decision, the personal, and since I own the company, I'm king. It is, it's great to it's, be it's, king. It's, it yeah. feels good. Um, I made the personal decision to start 300 blackout testing officially with um, a bolt action platform and then transition to semi-auto or do both concurrently, but, but bolt yeah. action will be a platform and, and we picked the mini fix. That's awesome. Because it, it had the right barrel length it has a twist that makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, there wasn't it's, really yeah, a lot. It wasn't great. really a lot of guessing after that. Like, after we settled on, like, when I say we, like, me and, like, when, my, when I asked my girlfriend for her opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hey, hey, babe. Ask my dog. I'm like, hey, I'll give you a treat if you. Yeah, like, I'm, I asked Jen. I mean, Jen, like, she gives me so much, like, because she's not, I mean, she's into guns, but, like, she's not a crazy person like me in the guns. So when yeah. I ask her questions and she's cool, I mean, yeah, you know, you what know, I know, you know, she, or, she's going to, she's going to tell you, she, uh, she tells me straight up. So yeah. I, I, and so when I, when I ask her, I'm like, Hey, what do you think about this? And like, when she gives me, when, when she tells me, yes, like, that's a good idea. I'm like, cool. Good enough. That, that's good enough for me. Cause I ask other people too. And I ask the members who contribute to Pew Science too. Cause like, that's one of the things like, I want this to be for them. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, if you guys are funding this this basically public research cooperative for the good of the industry, and you guys are putting your money where where your mouth is for the whole history of small arms, you get a say. Yeah. And everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'm surprised because I, I would think that like companies wouldn't want you to use our gun just because they don't like. Us. Oh well, the companies, um, you know, I don't really like when I say I listen to people, I listen, but I make the decision. Yeah. So if someone it's tells me... It's got to be rational because, yeah, one of our companies is one of our biggest haters. It's a competitor. Yeah. Like I was telling you yesterday, they bought 20 fixes for all their employees for Christmas. Yeah. And then online, they're, like, critical of us. It's like, it's just, it makes them so fucking laughable. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, I respect everyone's opinion to a degree, but I consider the facts of their of, of why they're saying what they are saying and what their intentions are and also like the practicality of the situation and the fact of the matter is um i was probably gonna do bolt get bolt action 300 blackout testing anyway without asking anyone but i wanted to do my due diligence to see yeah. if like there was any good points as to yeah. not and so far i want to tell you kevin so far there's not been one single entity in existence that i have seen personally contact me personally to tell me that anything i've done so far doesn't jive with reality that's awesome. Which, like, to me is like super, super. So I'm scared. I'm super nervous because I know I'm gonna fuck up. Well, you fuck up, but I mean, but you're, like, you're doing it in earnest and you're genuine. Yeah. And you're a scientist. 
Yeah. So the data just is what it, it is. It is what it is. I mean, even 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 CGS. You know, um, you know, I've talked with him, um, Bobby at CGS. Spoke with him personally, and he has told me his own words. The data is what it is, and we love what you're doing. And good Sorry. on him. Yeah. And other people have too. I talked with I've talked with engineers. I've talked with non-engineers. I've talked with everyone. Every manufacturer that I've talked to so far. I've talked with Silencer Co. I've talked with the, re the director of research and development for Silencer Co. He's a newer guy. Um, we talked, we had, a we had a freaking video conference, shared my screen, showed him the Omega test. We talked about it. He was like, hmm, never seen that before. Like, cool. Well, this is what I'm doing. So if you have any opinions that you want to send my way, like I'm here. I'll but be like, shocked I'm, if you get any there. But I'm doing it. Their research and development. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I don't. I don't know what goes on. You're probably in, not going to have you know. a peer there. Would be my guess based on experience with them. But but the point is, I'm doing my due diligence, and I hope. Yeah, given everybody, being you know, open with yeah, everybody. and like I'm gonna, I'm eventually gonna call all these manufacturers, and if they're probably listening to this, and and it's gonna be cool. Like I'm gonna be a normal dude, talk to them, and if they don't want to talk to me, that's fine. But, like, I'm still going to release the, the test data to the public. Yeah, I mean, it is like, interesting because, like, you'll get – I mean, it's a good thing. And I don't know, Phil Dater, I heard he's, like, working with Maxim Defense now, which Th – That's what – someone told me that – Fucking marriage that, made in heaven they right made, there, They but. made a, a tan gun. It's a tan gun, tan-colored, I mean. And it's short, and it has a collapsible stock, and I think it's 300 blackout. And I think that he is an – I don't know. Someone told me he was, like, part owner of that company. Like, I don't know. I, that's, that's, that's the entire thing I know about Maxim Defense. Well, like, I, that, I don't know. I don't, I like, don't know, I, but... Like, I don't know what they do. He might be... You know, eventually you're going to get somebody that's going to hate on you for it. That would seem like this type. But let's take a... Um, let's take a break. I need to hit the head and... Yeah. We're out of whiskey, so I'll... Oh, yeah, we, need, we need to regroup. Yeah. We can get, get, make a supply stop. Yeah, so we'll do that. <laughs> All oh right. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we just had... Oh God! Yeah, okay. it's fun. It's fun. Welcome to my life. Um, so what's up? Where are we now? We're talking about the site. Shit, I don't even remember. So yeah, but, where do we leave off? So you're, you're testing and everything. So, well, let me ask you some questions then. Yeah. So, so we'll just do one at a time. Yeah. We'll try to make this part rapid. Um. So, information is available to everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you pay for it? You can, um, you can support our research with monthly contributions. And so like it, through Patreon or something? It's actually just through my website. I have an e-commerce system on okay. there. It's like through Stripe. You know, you, you put your credit. It's a secure payment system. If you do that, um, it helps uh, the research that we conduct. It supports the podcast I do. It supports the testing um, that I do. Um, and... As a thank you to supporting us, what I do is I offer the supporters um, member members only access to additional data. So, like for example, okay. yeah. So, like for example, let's say like anyone right now listening goes to PewScience.com, you can view the entire Silencer Sound Standard for free, of course, and you can view every review for free too. But if you're a member, you get very very detailed wave waveform data at the ear and some other research supplements that we do, which focuses on like very complex uh, human ear modeling to talk about things like tone, for example, which like really no one has quantified publicly for science. See, that's great because a lot of companies use yeah. that as like marketing hokum yes. to like, 
oh, well, the tone is different. Exactly. But we can quantify it. But, but, but the thing is, you can quantify it. We, we have done that. And um, for those really technical people listening right now who might be thinking, oh, you're just, you're just doing like a, 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 a Fourier transform of the pressure waveform to figure out the frequency components. It's like, actually, we're not doing that. We're actually taking the actual time histories from the pressures that we're measuring, and we're inputting those into validated hearing damage models. So like we're showing you what the real pressure history and signal is doing from the gun, how that's interacting with the human inner ear, and we're giving you that analytical um, product as a research supplement. Yeah, and, and so basically what you're saying is that overlaid with a known like research or model that's been conducted that, yes. that shows hearing loss. It's, or it's the most, right now, you can read about it in the Sounds for Sound Standard. It is, it, it's not perfect, but it's the best that we have. That's right, all you can right ask now. for. Okay, yeah. so that's good. So, so people can get that. Also, okay, so um, do you have manufacturers giving you money? Yes, for, um, because you can join as a manufacturer. Okay. So like, for example, um, there's three levels of membership. Like one, it's like, I don't remember, like eight, eight bucks a month. And like you can access everything, <laughs> and you'll get some assholes that'll say that's biasing you in the end. Eight dollars. Yeah, it's like okay, eight bucks a month, and then in the middle. It's, it's way better than no bucks a month. Right, like and the, and the middle one, um, anyone can do. It's like it's like I think it's ten dollars a month, nine ninety five, and those people just get a little more interaction. Like I devote more time to communicating with them one on one because there's like a lot of people, and so I try to like answer very technical questions for those people in a very thoughtful way and realizing that I do try to reach out to everyone, but they kind of get a little bit more. Yeah. And then the third tier is for like manufacturers or dealers or distributors. And like if you're a sponsor dealer or whatever, and you're selling sponsors and you want to use this information to start selling stuff, well, okay, you should probably pay a little more because you have the means and it'll, it's going to help your business. So I want to, yeah, you know, I, and that's, that's, yeah, I didn't even know you were doing this. So I said, yeah, no, I didn't even tell you about it. <laughs> I don't and assume it's like, we're contributing. No, no. Yeah. Q doesn't. Um, a couple of manufacturers have put their hat in the ring and com- contributed a hundred bucks a month. And the only thing oh, that yeah, made, I would love for us to now that I, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't even know you were accepting help from anything. Yeah. I mean, and all that does, it doesn't give the manufacturer special treatment in the reviews. All it does is give them the access that the consumers have, but at the manufacturer level, so me, we can reproduce know, it or so you can reproduce it. And also like, yeah, because, uh, yeah use it as a sales tool. That's th- great. That. And also I want your feedback, like any manufacturers listening, any dealers listening, I want your feedback into how we can make the standard better because it's all open. I've written it as an open source standard. The only thing that's proprietary is the rating system algorithm, and that's just because that's a trade secret, but it works. And yeah. so I can't give all the keys to the kingdom. No, no, why would you? Yeah, but, you should. But, but yeah, so that's the basic thing. It's, uh, it's not a money-making machine. Okay, so... so <laughs> but, yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> so we'll clarify a couple things. So... Well, obviously, you reviewed one of our silencers, and we're not giving any money. So no. are you only going to review silencers of companies that contribute financially? Absolutely not. And we ha- we, we've, we've reviewed sil- the – no, the only manufacturer that has um, con- had, that is contributing that we've reviewed so far is CGS. Cool. CGS put their hat in the ring as a manufacturer that believed in what we were doing. Nice. Yeah, no, Bobby at CGS, he's a nice guy, and he, he on many occasions has talked to me about it. And he believes in what we're doing. And um, no, that's not true. There's just another guy joined as a manufacturer. Um, his name, uh, he, he's just starting out of the industry. He's like a small SOT. Yeah. Um, uh, perform, 
performance driven design performance engineering performance uh stubby tech is his, his uh instagram handle shit man i'm gonna like forget and like i'm, I'm like plugging him right because i want him to like oh well, well, no take your time but yeah let me let me look him up phone, because though. he's a his name is kyler he's a pretty cool dude and he's doing some cool stuff um here it is performance driven defense and he's yeah, he I've does he does stuff like um not only silencers but like he's making scar um scar projects you know like trigger housings and stuff he's reverse engineered a cherry bomb so that he could like study erosion effects and stuff and like but he's making his own silencers that are different he's just a cool dude and he wanted to support us and he you know he I didn't. I don't ask for support. Yeah, that's not something I do. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, until I ask you these questions. Yeah, and and so he joined too, which was really cool. A lot of other manufacturers have expressed interest in joining, and that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Then so, so I'm like, you know, yeah. Well, what are the the long term goals as far as they relate to for the consumer? Like, as concise and and short as you can be with it for the most novice of consumers. What are you hoping they get from this? I'm hoping that when a consumer goes and is interested in using a suppressed weapon system, I'm hoping they can use our ratings to determine what's most appropriate for their use case for sound. Perfect. I mean, I, mean, I, think, I think that's what we all want. Yeah, because I don't want yeah. them to have to guess. And I don't want them to have to dig through marketing that's wrong. And I don't want them to have to... Yeah, you know, I, it just, I get it. It's, it's so funny with all the stuff online when I talked about we don't publish numbers because people change. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, people want numbers. Okay, well, if I own the company and I do the marketing, or how much confidence do you put in the numbers that I give you? Like, I, to me, it'd make more sense for either you or Silence or Shop or yeah. somebody else that's involved with all the companies. Yes. Like, get your information from them. Well, we were talking about this. Like, we took this long break um, between these segments. Um, I was talking about it. it's like the actual transients, the fast single peak DB numbers that you get are going to vary slightly no matter what. Even if, it's, um, even if it's the same exact temperature outside, even if it's the same everything, they're going to vary because they're happening so fast. But what doesn't vary appreciably is the suppression rating. Yeah, because it's a it, it it's looking at actual response from waveforms, and there's certain things that we do. Oh, and you're collecting a lot of data. And I'm collecting a lot of, of one. yeah. So yeah. I, we're doing a lot of things, and and this is something that people have asked over and over again. They're like, well, you didn't test that on the same day, or you didn't even, you know. For example, a lot of people told me, well, hey, when you tested the trash panda, you actually didn't use the the XM80 Federal ammunition. You used gold medal match, and so how are you comparing? It's like, okay, listen. First of all, that was like the third review or whatever, or fourth review that we released. And that was from a test series done with like a major industry entity in which they had a bolt action host. They had the ammo and it was such good data and such clean data that I wanted to present it. And I got news for people. We've tested these silencers multiple times and the suppression rating does not vary that much. So I felt confident in that data enough to release it and put my name on it. And that's yeah. something I've told people. Well, to me, if you're being transparent about yeah. it. Yeah. You, you know, th this reminds me of a thing where I saw, you know, 350 Legend. That came out of a cartridge, I think. Is it Winchester released it, um, maybe? I don't know. Whatever. So, and people are like, oh, 300. Well, no, it's not for 300 Blackout replacement. Like, 350 Legend's never going to be a good AR cartridge. There's Reliability. A, there's a many reasons. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, what that was for was, like, the straight wall. So, 
Yeah. States in the Midwest where they have like restrictions on cartridges and you generally shoot with a shotgun or a straight wall cartridge. That's what that's for. Great round if you live there and you need that. And I'm sure it's quiet and all that. But it, it's funny. I saw some marketing. Somebody was asking me about it. They're like, well, it has way more power than a, a 300 blackout. And I'm like, e I don't think it does. Which I wasn't really that interested in it because I don't hunt in the Midwest with a rifle. I hunt yeah. in the Midwest with a bow. So I don't, like, I don't give a shit. Uh, and when, if it gets to be enough volume, then we'll make silencers for it. Sure. But somebody said this, so I'm like, I don't even know. And so I just, you know, go Googling, and, and I end up on Winchester's site. And I'm like, well, what are they saying marketing-wise about it? Because, you know, I can run the calculations on it pretty quick and figure out what the energy is. And then in the very small print at the bottom of the page where they compared it to 300 Blackout, they tested 350 Legend on a 20-inch barrel and 300 Blackout on a 9-inch barrel. Hmm. And then they're giving... With supersonic 300 blackout. Yeah, supersonic for, for both. But then giving, uh, saying, see, 350 Legend has 24% more power. It's like, well, if we multiply our barrel two and a half times with 300 blackout, guess what? They're the same, asshole. You can so, make numbers say anything you yeah, want. Yeah, so that's where it's like you got one data point and mm -hmm. you're ignoring the actual things that matter. And so all it is is misleading consumers. It is, and it, there's some things that happen actually with, with sound testing that misleads consumers. Sometimes it's misleading on purpose by the people giving it, and sometimes it's misleading on accident because they- I agree completely. Because they don't know, like for example, like Sponsor Shop, they're, they're one of the best companies in, in the gun industry ever created. Correct. And they're awesome and I love them and I love everyone who works there. Um, and they've admitted to me and they know this and we will talk about it. I, they just asked me to go on one of their Instagram lives yesterday uh -huh. to talk about stuff. You know, they don't admit to doing scientific sound testing. They're doing that because people like to view the YouTube videos that they do. They want to they, see numbers. And they want to see numbers. And that's why they do it. They've never claimed to do scientific testing. They've never claimed that it's the most accurate. And that's fine. And because they don't claim that, like, I'm not here to tell you, you know, Sponsor Shop sucks. Like, because I'm not about that. Because they recognize the limitations. Now, well, they also, you I know, mean, they've cast a wide net. I mean, exactly. they're doing everything. And they are genuinely trying to give, like, their goal. Yes. And they are very self serving in this regard. They want to sell as many silencers and transform as possible. They sell products, yes. Wonderful. <laughs> I love that. And it's okay for you to be selfish with that. Exactly. So then they don't want to just sell Q or Silencer Co. or right. whoever else. They want to sell everybody's stuff. Whatever people want. Exactly. And they want to make it easy. And they want to give you information. And they want to provide, like, all these things. They do so many things. Yeah. And obviously their strong suit is the paperwork and the kiosk. And they, they have changed our industry more than just about any I mean, other company. The, I mean, D Dave leaving Intel is the best thing that ever happened to guns, I think. Like, it, it, I agree. I mean, I, well, I won't even say guns. I will say hunting, because yeah. now look how many people hunt with silencers. Yeah. Like, j just so much stuff. And, and, and encouraging change. Like, I think between them and SB Tactical, they're my two favorite companies, because they look at stuff that was wrong with our industry based on, you know, basically ignorant beliefs or... ATF opinion and they get to the root of it. Okay, well, is this or is this not okay to do? And they come up with solutions for these things that we didn't even know were problems. We thought it was mandatory. And now they've made everything easier and better. Dude, not only did they fix the problem, they like burnt it. Like they went to the village, they killed all the people, they burned it and they salted the earth and they were like, let's build a freaking new city now. 
Yeah, something that makes sense. And it was like, so I yes. Love, I love seeing them do the Instagram lives. I love seeing them do the testing. I've seen some of it not be correct. Sure. But it's a, but you know, the people who are always critical are the people who are not doing anything other than anonymously running their mouths on the internet. If you're going to complain, fix it. Or, or offer some help. Yeah, or, or help. Or do yeah. something like, like for example, like I, talked about, I talked about Silencer Shop as a famous example of someone who's sound testing with good intentions. Yeah. Now, there's a whole other group of people that do things like um, they don't calibrate the microphones right on purpose. Or maybe they put the microphone in a place behind the muzzle of the Man, silencer. It's still like we've been or, talking about since you've been here. It's like, it what are you doing? Like people, and I'm sure it's every industry and all people, but definitely in ours. If you smile and or you are nice and you pretend to get along with everyone, like the, the internet thinks that you're great and you're a wonderful person. It doesn't matter if you steal, you lie, you cheat. If you're nice and you don't ever critique anyone else and you pretend you like everyone, if you lie to me, then you're good. You know, and I it's like if yeah. I po- if I point out to you that you bought this silencer and it doesn't do what they said and it's a piece of shit, I'm an asshole for calling it out, no matter what kind of p- proof I provide. Even if I'm trying to provide you with a service, well, you're not nice. It's it's like so ridiculous. No, we're not here to make friends. No, I, I I actually uh, on a po- podcast episode I did. Um, the other day, I, I, I made an inter- industry, interesting observation about the industry. I found it funny um, that in the silencer industry, um, there are so many companies that are friendly with one another, even though they're competitors. Now, there is... And they talk about each other behind their back. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, it's like, okay, it's like, you know, I gave the example, which was like a long, like convoluted example. But the short story is I likened it to like, you know... Team, the, the Corvette team at Chevy and like you know the Shelby team at Ford it's like they're, they're they probably have a healthy like respect and professionalism with each other but those dudes are not hanging out with each other every night because they want to win and they want to beat the living crap out of the other team and like I'm here to tell you right now like I don't know who else is trying to do anything close to what I'm doing right now I hope there are people that are replicating my results in, in the name of data and, and help for the industry but I can tell you right now that I'm going to be better than them and I'm going to win that's such a great attitude well, so. so people can relate. This is where I think it's important. Like, um, some people think that, and they, well, a lot of people, I, I, I think that judge or online or interested in firearms as a whole, uh. it's not their vocation anyway. It's a hobby. And like, like you, for instance, when you said we don't want to make friends, like we don't care about Yeah, I don't, friends, I don't care about that. I, I don't care. And I've made lots of good friends because of my job in the industry. Sure. But I don't care about getting along with any other gun company. It doesn't matter to me at all. Like, I mean, they're I, super cool, though. Some, but I want to be the best. And yeah. if that bothers you, and if you make a subpar product and that's kind of what you're going for is middle of the road, that's cool. I respect it. We need those guns. We need Savage. We need Springfield Armory. Absolutely. I love it. But don't say you're something you're not. That's where I have a problem. When you lie to yes. a consumer, I have a problem. Because, for instance, and, and two, I'm driven. I want to be the best. Like, like who, so you, your girlfriend swam in college? She did, yeah. So, so high level. D- D- Division one, yeah. Division one. Who's the most successful Olympian in swimming history? I actually don't know. I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to say Phelps is up there, but I don't know. I would assume that too. Yeah. Who's number two? I don't fucking know. Name one other person. That I mean, won. I mean, there's a saying name, about the prom queen that I'm not going to repeat, but <laughs> <laughs> well, name, name one other person that won a fucking medal. 
Yeah, I don't know. And Greg, swimming, Greg Louganis. Was he a diver? I He's a know. diver. It's different. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a swimmer, dude. I don't know. Well, me either. <laughs> <laughs> we know who number one is. Yeah, yeah. You know, but... And two, remember when he was like caught smoking pot or whatever? Oh, yeah. Like, they tried I'm to make sorry. a big deal. I'm sorry. He's he like, eats 12,000 calories a day to be the best, and he wanted to toke up a little bit. I'm he, sorry. He smoked, you hear your feelings? He, he smoked weed, like, and, <laughs> and, and he needs to lose his McDonald's endorsement, even though he changed the world of swimming, inspired millions of kids to start uh, one swimming. One for Team USA, which is like the most and patriotic thing ever. For America. It's like, hey, Russia, go fuck yourself. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know. And it's like, and then here we are, a bunch of fucking losers want to crucify him for smoking weed. Yeah, I, it, it makes me sense. hate people. It's like it I'm, I'm sorry that he spent every waking moment wanting to be the best and piss excellence. Yeah, and you know what committed I mean? like himself to it. Worked out nonstop. Yeah, had some talent, but who don't? And then fucking dominates. Yeah, and people want. I love that. It's it, it's the same thing we're talking about. Like with my arrest, it's like okay. Yeah. Well, when I asked you who who owns these other companies, well, let's find out. Me. Let's dig into their past. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, why would like you I, even do that? I, I'm, I'm the only one that's ever been arrested ever. It's like, I'm, okay. I'm the only, like, yeah. And d d then we talked about it, too. It's Dude. like, what's my personal life? And it involves, you know, a Dude. terrible situation with my ex-wife, and I have full custody of my children. Dude, for so, one thing, I want to say something right now for people listening. Like, um, without going into, like, super deep, detailed uh, aspects of, of Kevin's life, like, he probably won't say this to you, people listening, but I will say it, like... If you if you think you know what's going on with someone's personal life by reading comments on social media forums and Instagram, and you're gonna take that and then like turn around and make your product purchasing decisions based on that, like you you need to evaluate your choice of information consumption and and your like gullibility, and perhaps like you need to reevaluate like your entire outlook on what's going on because like that's it's it's a borderline irresponsible to consume that information and think and then and then spread it too. Yeah. I mean, oh, frankly, well, it, it makes me angry to the point where, like, I got so pissed. Like, when I was talking with Nick last night, like, Nick is such a nice guy. Like, he was like, you know, I don't care that, like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm mad for you then. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. It's not, you know, it, is you think, it bothers me. Yeah. You know what it, I mean? It just brings up all kinds of thoughts. Yeah. Me. So, like, like, I don't want to. You, you think about when Michael Jordan was playing for the Bulls and what a train wreck Dennis Rodman was. But how embraced he was by the public, no matter what he did, because he was supporting Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball team ever, of winning championships. Yeah. Like, you have two views. You view Dennis Rodman by his personal life, which totally insane. Dude's crazy. And I view Dennis Rodman, and that's an extreme example, but an integral part of the greatest basketball team ever yeah. who would have not been as successful without him. Oh, yeah. You know, probably one of the greatest rebounders, defensive players um, and definitely had more heart and gave more energy to the game than anyone I've ever watched play. Not people only people only see what's published in like oh a paparazzi or um, a tabloid or a, an Instagram account that's a media account that should relax and not yeah. you know what I mean? It's like well, come on guys. And like, two, if you really love guns and you love the industry and we got these companies, like I've devoted my entire life to firearms, small arms in support of the military and the consumer market. 27 years I've been doing this. And for a lot of that, at a pretty high level. Yeah. And have developed lots of things that everyone enjoys. You know, uh, Griffin or Dead Air or um, Silencer Co., like all these companies that have contributed to something, they've not ever done anything that affects our company in this regard. I'll say this, like, um, you know, when you talk about modular silencers, like, we did that. When you talk about tubeless silencers, inch and three-quarter, 
we did that. Tapered muzzles, we did that. And there's people who are going to say, nah, because there was a thing in Europe, and, yeah. and in Europe they did it, and because, and it's like, dude, what are you talking no, about? Well, okay, 300 Blackout, and they'll say, oh, 300 Whisper. Okay, who commercialized that? Yeah, who did uh, like, it, though? Like, who brought it? Like, silencers for the Army. Like, we won all that SOCOM contract. Like, I've said it before, but, like, Surefire markets the, the SOCOM 556 silencer, we won 75% of the SOCOM contract advanced armor. The only reason we didn't get that one was we won the 556 competition. Our flash hider would not go on the Mark 18 Mod 1 because they made the handguard. Oh, model. that's right. So, so you, you, we couldn't use the, you couldn't use the miter mount. It, so, the, it wasn't the no, it wasn't mount, a miter at the time. It was, it was a taper. It was, yeah. it was, it was a taper. Because this was after that. And, and yeah, 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 it yeah, wouldn't yeah, yeah. go, so it was a no-go for those 1,200 yeah. guns, so we were disqualified. That sucks. Well, it's, but it's a requirement. It makes no difference, but it was, and we it's failed. It's a requirement, yeah. We failed. We didn't do that. That's right. We, we miscalculated, and it wouldn't fit on there. But on the M4 and the other guns they tested that, we beat Surefire. But then we were disqualified from that competition. And everybody thinks, yeah. oh, Surefire's so... So, yeah. But, you know, good on Surefire. I love that Surefire got in our industry. And, you know, if, if I were a loser and a hater, I would... And Surefire and I had our battles. They sued me and stuff. And I, as a result, published pictures of me breaking their silencers by shooting the guns. And Oh, know, the it, ones with the spot weld pictures yeah, in the so magazines? You know, you know what Surefire did? Yeah, I remember that. Well, they sued me for $11 million. I remember. But then they also, you know what they did? They bought the welders that we developed, and they circumferentially welded their silencers right there so they wouldn't break. Well, there you go. So Surefire, to me, responded correctly, well, the second half. Um, I, mean, to, I mean, credit to Surefire for, like, prolific prolifically delivering silencers to the military for all these years and like fixing problems and doing it right yeah i, I, I mean well I, I love that they I'll support that. the war fighter exactly. that's like a, a term that i hate to use well but you know it's with, what they use with, with all, yeah with all of their <laughs> stuff the lights everything that they do and even silencers there are two things to me that made silencers that helped to make silencers really mainstream maybe three one is Surefire starting to make silencers. It was huge. And I welcomed it. Jim Tech, everybody else was freaking out. I loved it because I knew it would be a rising oh, Flashlight time. companies making silencers? This is crazy. The, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the second thing I would say, and it may be the most important, was me selling my company to Remington. Making, and that really, that really solidified silencers becoming mainstream. I would think it was before that. Well, I, I think I, I want to stroke my own ego and say that, yeah, but that was something that's just I, my I felt like That's my opinion from outside looking in. Though. I needed to do for it to be taken seriously by the industry, and it worked. Then everybody yeah. else took it seriously. And then um, I would say 300 blackouts probably in the top five. I mean, it's pretty prolific. We were talking last night about, like, I'm not um, – like, I used to play computer games when I was a kid, but I haven't in, like, very many years. But, like, apparently now in video games, there's the Honey Badger and some other guns. And, like, dude, it's in, a, it's in a video game. Like, what? Like, what does well, that even mean? you're probably right. So That's no, crazy. One, so, number four would be <laughs> me putting, well, this is not the silencer, but me getting the Honey Badger in Call of Duty. I mean, I say it's, well, when I say sil it is silencers because the Honey Badger is a silence weapon. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a Honey Badger without being a suppressed small arm. Yeah. So, so, it's, so, it, it's so those are some that. big things. Um, and, you know, and then I'll even applaud, like we talked about Silencer Co. later, and that's gone through several iterations now and 
different things. But you know what they did was once I sold to Remington and I was fired, they took, they sort of took over because obviously Remington ruined advanced armament and they marketed the shit out of it because we were talking today about like engineering. Like, I don't know if Silencer Co., I had never known a degreed mechanical engineer that worked there. And they might have one now. They might. I have not. I would be out of the know now. But as of like five years ago, they had never had one. And that's why they have shit like their shitty mounts where the silencers blow off the guns. And, you know, and I know they're, can they just introduce whatever, 36M, they claim the, the it's... Ome, the Omega 36M, it's it, a modular? That it's 338 Lapua rated. You know, I mean, I know I their know. first demo, you know, where they took everyone's cell phones and all that the silencer blew apart. Oh, really? In front of everyone. Damn. And, uh, you know, like, I know that... So it's just not. It's just, like, bullshit. The marketing... But, but it's a smart play because where I applaud them is who the hell has a 338? You know, it's just, like, to me, rugged or d dead air. Didn't... The, wasn't it the Titan? The Titan, yeah. Well, that was a military silencer that's still in production and still has an NSN. Yeah. So, but we didn't do it for the commercial market. We That's did true. We did it for no. I mean, NATO si military. I mean, Silencer Co. Really commercial. Really, well, yeah. commercially, who has a three thirty eight Lapua Magnum? Like, do you? Fuck no. Okay. Well, I've got one, but I don't know any. Well, I do know one other guy. A guy that lets me hunt on his property in Mississippi. I gave him one. That's but cool. other than that, I don't know anyone else that has a three thirty eight Lapua Magnum. I mean, there are some people that really. There's all you know. Every silencer manufacturer I've ever talked to about a big bore uh, rifle, centerfire rifle can like that always tells me, man, people sure do ask for it. And then once we make one, they never sell. Yeah. And that, well, everyone said that. And I think the Titan sold. Well, it was super light and cool for the time. And the first first real monolithic silencer that was that was done. And that was a great silencer. And it was lighter than everybody else's three oh eights. But because we sold it to U.S. Army snipers and it was on all their sniper rifles, that made people want it. And it it's a great silencer. I have one. I still use it, and I love it. I've heard. I've heard it before. It's cool. Yeah, it, and it was. You know, it was quieter at the time in three thirty eight than any three oh eight silencer I'd ever metered. Which is crazy of the pressures involved for people who don't understand that. And that's where we. You know, that's really where we learned big volume, go with large diameter. I mean, it changes so much. And I was. I was like a doubter about that initially, just because of like some technical things that I was doubting. And then like, as I started to test more silencers, like, and when I say test, it's funny. I, I actually just thought of this, like- You like more evaluate. Well, I mean, when people say test, isn't that funny? Like, you know, like in the, in the military community, when you're doing a government contract or something, there are people that use the acronym T&E, and it's like testing and evaluating. That's like an actual, that came from like a shorthand notation in like government and like DOD circles. When you test something, it's like, cool. It could be like a YouTube guy going out in the backyard and shooting a couple rounds through it, and they're like, I've tested it. It's like, cool. I respect that. I think it's cool. I'm not going to shit on anyone doing that. But when I, when I say, when I've tested these larger diameter silencers, what I really mean is I've performed in-depth data acquisition and then looked at what I, the results. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh. Like, Very different. Things. I'm like, oh, like, so I've noticed like what can happen with the larger diameter silencers, whether it's the Trash Panda, that you guys did, or whether it's the CGS one where they use the extra volume to add a coaxial section, or like, or whether it's the Nomad, how they made the baffles flatter and, and wider, and then they're pointing in a certain way. Like whatever people are doing, someone somewhere, and I mentioned this on my podcast the other day, because like I wanted people to know it. I, I want to, I, so I don't want to be repeating myself necessarily, but I, I kind of want to repeat this in that um, I want people to understand 
when there was a move to the larger diameter silencers in the industry, like that was a big deal. And so like, I don't know who the first one necessarily like full stop, the first one in the world to do it was, but I know. Like, yeah, you do. But, 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 but when, in the United States, when I see like Q, I'm like, okay. And I said it on my podcast, I was like, I think Q was the first one to really commercialize in large volume, like large volume silencer, large volume tubeless, um, centerfire rifle silencers made of titanium. Like, I don't know of another, I could be ignorant though. You like, know, I don't know. You know, it was us. But I don't know. I mean, maybe. But but but, that, but I made that point. So when people are like, "Well, how come they, you know, they weren't the first ones?" Like, I think they were, though. Well, I mean, we could go all the way back to advanced armament, and you could say advanced armament was like the honey badger silencer was a tubeless. It was tubeless. Cir- but I'm talking about like welded. the 1.75 inch diameter, though. It would well, to get the volume. The Titan was two inch, but you know it was a monocore with a tube over it. And, and subgun silencer were always QD bad. Titan QD was not... 1.85. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, they could say. That that but i mean it, it's clear we developed silencers at sig we well we did the first version of aac for the honey badger then when we went to sig we used that to do those then we and we also the sig silencers were set up to have a tube but then we proved we didn't need the tube so we eliminated which is super cool to not have to have a tube yeah so it saved a lot of weight yeah so then we improved upon that and we came to q and also with the mounting system but you know, it's now like you mentioned three silencers. So I'll ask you those because this might be an interesting question because yeah. your testing stuff is, is very complicated. I think it's going to be difficult for some people, a lot of people, to really digest the whole thing. So you came yeah. up with races. But tell, so, so you brought up the Nomad, mm-hmm. the CGS one, mm-hmm. and the Trash Panda. Mm-hmm. Why would you buy, in what situation would you buy the Nomad? Well, Full disclosure, I have not tested the Nomad yet. Oh, you haven't? Yeah, I actually, Todd um, from Dead Air, uh, we talk a lot. He's a cool dude, and he's going to send me a Nomad, a Nomad TI, which is that titanium Nomad, and then the Nomad we'll L. The and the Nomad Dead Air Trash Bandit. Yeah, yeah the, the Nomad, and the Nomad L, which is like the longer version Thunder of the Steel Chicken. Nomad. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, the, the, gotcha. the, the, the dimensionally similar um, <laughs> uh, silencers from Dead Air, like the Q silencers, um, and we're going to test them. So... I expect, based on my like engineering judgment, I expect them to be pretty quiet. My first postulation when I see it is, and this is, and people are probably going to hold me to this, and I say I'll eat crow if I'm wrong. I have yeah, no it's, it's always fine to reserve the right to change I reserve the right to change my mind on this. But, but you're a smart guy, and you actually yes. do science, so you can make an educated Yeah, guess. I think my educated guess from what, what I see right now is I think that the Nomad line of silencers are going to be quiet, but they're going to have higher back pressure than the Q silencers of similar size, I think. That's like my guess, and it's based on a couple of things. It's based on a couple of reasons um, and how the silencers are designed. Um, I could be wrong. I think that's fair, and based on science and what I know about them, I would make the same guess. So what do you think? What, what other factors? What do you think about... Accuracy point of impact shift. Which one should you mm, I, t- I mean, I've talked about this too. I think it's so interesting because I got uh, my, my friend Will at Magpul the other day asked me if I had done um, point of impact testing or if I was going to. And we had talked about that before. I was like, well, that's a whole other ball game, but I'll give you my opinions. I haven't done it yet. And to anyone listening who wants to do it, I will vouch for you and I'll promote your, your business. It's, it's if you tough because you're going to have to have like 100 of the same model. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. But my thoughts on um, point of impact shift and general accuracy, a comparison between something like the, what Q is designing and um, things like Nomad. I'll just, I'm not even going to say the Nomad only, like other stuff. 
Um, there are things that happen. That there's two points of impact shift, right? The first one we have is like naked barrel versus silencer, which is you add a weight on the end of the barrel, which changes the natural frequency of the barrel, which okay. changes the, uh, the, the, the natural frequency of vibration. So when you shoot the gun and the bullets vibrate, I mean the barrel's vibrating, the bullet hits in a different place, you can't control that. It is what it is. Yeah, because people don't, a lot of people yeah. don't realize if you have uh, an AR-15, an A2 flash hider on it, yeah. Zero your gun, remove that flash hider and shoot it. It'll be different. It'll be different. And because there's because you're changing the, the, the mode of vibration of the, the harmonics. Correct. So it's like it's like fine. So let's let's assume that both silencers were the same weight. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And the same length, because that would actually yeah, and that, that's, everything. That's you know, actually just you, you know what? that was an accident. I'm sure that was not intentional. Yeah, so, yeah who knows? So. so let's assume that they're the same length. Let's assume that the, the the center of gravity is in the same place too. Okay, so we have that part. Well, then let's talk about the other part. One of the other parts of point of impact shift, and that's from something that's way more complicated, and that's when the bullets coming through the silencer. And that's the part that like people study their whole lives to figure out in other industries. And it's like, well, it's like uh, you, you got a really, really fast thing flying through the, a hall with fins and there's gas chasing it and pushing it and thing going around and it. it's not in a vacuum and there's temperatures involved and there's jetting and it's all happening really, really fast. So it's like, how big can your bore be? and still make the silencer quiet and actually not deflect the path of the bullet. What if your baffle's not symmetrical in the right plane of symmetry? Yeah, what if you have a scoop in the blast baffle and you don't have one in the other can's blast Or like, what if your scoops are not aligned right? Mm. Or like, what if they're, what if like the mount's such that like the scoops aren't aligned right every time on, when you put it on? Or like, what if like... Or when you talk about the bore of the silencer, if you have mounts that are threaded and end caps that are threaded in, how do you EDM that? Because Thanks, as you take them in and out, sure. they fatigue. Or when you mount your muzzle brake and you have to put shims or washers, is that going to cause misalignment? Yeah, like you don't what, have a taper muzzle. Yeah, like what if you don't align the muzzle brake? What if that's not perfectly square? Like you said, I mean, like what, what if the EDM end cap is changed out or not torqued to the right thing? And all these things don't seem like a big deal, but when you add them all together as a system, they can stack up. And when you're when you're a shooter, and I'm not a long range shooter, I don't claim to be. I'm not claimed. I'm not a marksman. I'm a deer hunter. Yeah. But and, and a plinker. But I tell you what, if I. It, as every accurate shooter knows, point of impact shift magnifies per distance, right? So, like, like what if you like you're shooting 500 yards? In an angle. Yeah, man. What if you're shooting 500 yards and like you you have all this tolerance stacking and you can't get your gun to group and you waited a year for that silencer and so it's like okay, that's why I, I said the other day I was like, if there's anyone out there listening that like wants to do accuracy testing for silencers, I will like if and you want and you want to do a good job and you have like the like the balls to do it like right. I will, resources. Like, I will like totally like promote you. I would fund a huge portion of it. I mean, I'd be like, hey. Because yeah, yeah, here's what I know. Like, we talk about the Titan. I love the Titan. So, so basically, people want to know why we don't do the rear mounts. You can thread them in and out. Number one, durability. Number two, tolerancing, concentricity tolerancing. When you torque it in and out, it moves slightly. So your point of impact shift is going to be different. If you want to EDM the bore to get the truest bore to the bore of your rifle through the silencer, and then you have end caps that are threaded in and out. So, for instance, and I don't know if you've ever heard this. I've said it before on a podcast. We changed two things about the Titan after we won the military contract. Hmm. The first one was the first baffle was asymmetric. It was causing huge... Oh, originally, you're saying? Originally. Okay. It was asymmetric, and it was causing point of impact shift. Hmm. 
and it was hurting accuracy some. Hmm. The point of impact shift, we were testing internally at 100 yards. They were shooting the guns from 1,000 to 1,600. I mean, it is for a 338 Lapua. There you go. <laughs> why so, would you shift it at 100 yards? We had a 100-meter <laughs> fucking range. That's what we were doing. Oh, so, okay, fair enough. But, you know, we were learning, and, and so <laughs> we learned that. And, and so what we did was the Titan QD started having a flat blast baffle that was not slant and wasn't asymmetric. And guess what? Our accuracy and the point of impact tightened right up to How where it needed that? to be. And so another thing we realized was you, you had to time the muzzle brake. Yeah. And so we had to use shims. So like the most shims you would use, I think it's five. So the way traditionally Knight's Armament started this and we copied what they did because they all they sold the M4 silencers to the military, the M4 QD. They had like a shim kit with it, right? Shim kit, yeah, which yeah. we had to provide too. Yeah. And the way you designated which th shim was what thickness, you used a marker, like a Sharpie, oh, and you yeah. put a color on it. Yeah. So when you, we realized, when, so with one silencer, the Titan, which is like the length of the Nomad L, we'll say, if we had to use all five shims and we lined up that marker, magic marker mark on those shims, lined them all up, and then torque the muzzle brake into place. It costs thirty thousandths of run out at the muzzle of the silencer. So, like, so for those of you who don't understand, like, over the just over the length of the silencer, the difference in axial alignment from mm -hmm. the bore to the end cap exit of the bullet was noticeable due to it's like Princess in the Pea. You ever heard of that? Well, <laughs> I mean, you think the industry standard is only to go sixty thousandths over bullet diameter for your bore. So this was cutting that in half just with magic marker. So yeah. when people start saying tapers aren't important, like, okay, well, 90 degree shoulder, all it does is stop something from threading on. And there's a big tolerance between your thread, yeah. uh, your, your male thread on your barrel and your female thread on your muzzle device. And that's just one of the concentricity tolerances of like six that you're dealing so with. So it's like, take that one out. Okay, next. Which was the next one? You know what I mean? Like, keep yeah, going. And, and that's where we've gone. And that's why we're so far ahead. When you and I talked about the coding on the muzzle device, Justin, I heard like oh, yeah. Griffin's dumbass call us lazy for, excuse me, saying that we don't code our muzzle devices. We learned at SIG. When you PVDM, like uh, we did an advanced armament and then um, Surefire does it. You can't control that thickness. Well, we talked about what yeah. happened with... Uh, we don't need to talk about yeah, the whole thing right now, but the, we talked about that. Yeah. On that yeah, taper, yeah. They, when they put PVD or you put a coating on something, generally you can't control the thickness uniformly. So where it's important... On some things, it doesn't matter. Like if you just have sure. a standard muzzle by, device, you're not mounting anything to it, it doesn't matter what the outside spec is. But when you have a taper and you're aligning a silencer and the PVD is three times thicker on one side than the other on the taper, no, now your taper's not aligning stuff and it's not gonna hold shit tight. So we will never put a coating on our muzzle device again. We pick a material that doesn't require a coating. So when it's heat treated, we cut it. That is the surface and tolerance that you're gonna have forever. It's gonna give you the truest alignment you can ever get. Well, and absolutely, and, and with tapers, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say, cause you know, I like to think I'm on the pulse of like Instagram most of the time. <laughs> I'm on the gram and my, you know, my girlfriend's gonna listen to this and cringe. It's fine. Um, yeah, I love you. you. So. No. <laughs> um, um, she, you know, when I see people say things like, um, well, man, we've been using tapers in machine tools forever. I'm like, yeah. That, that's why. Of and course, that's where we everyone got it from. did. I mean, everyone, no, Q didn't invent the taper, but guess what? They did 
did certainly make it popular for silencers. Sure, there were other tapers, like, you know, Ron Allen with this freaking badass reflex design had a taper in there. Yeah, but you know, with those, all theirs, they have a piece that goes over the barrel that uses a set screw. It so does. Now, so now the tapers misaligned. Yeah, I mean, and so- All and, it does is hold shit And I'm tight. sure there's others too who have used here yeah, and there- I've seen, Opsync I mean, before Ron Allen, Opsync, they were on to something. Yeah, I mean, the Ops... But they didn't, I, I they didn't execute correctly. Sure, but I mean, my, my major point here is when I talk about that, it's like, I want people to understand, like, just because someone else has done something somewhere, like in, I don't know, like backcountry Somalia, or like, I don't know, uh, a basement in Minnesota, like, pick something, like, someone's probably done something, like, there were operating systems before DOS... And, and basic and windows that were probably better, but like they just didn't work. Tommy, I mean, well, even 300 Whisper. 300 you Whisper know, was 20 years old before I did 300 Blackout. Yeah, I mean, JD Jones, right? Why, yeah, why yeah. wasn't it successful? I mean, he didn't, did he go to Sammy? You know, did who, who did he design bullets for the AR? Was he just using 308 bullets? And that's it's like, why I couldn't get reliability. It's like, who has the wherewithal? And I'm not, and I feel like I don't want people to freak out and be like, oh, you're just. You're just drinking the Kool-Aid and you, you, you're just a super, you're a fan of Q. It's like, okay, you're guys. You're drinking that science Kool-Aid. It's like, cool. Like, I don't own any, I don't own any advanced armament products. I don't own any Q products except a freaking uh, Honey Badger handguard that I put on a machine gun. Because, like, Kevin gave me one because it's awesome. And then, um, oh, and the two. And it was a blem. And it was a blem, <laughs> a blem handguard that like most people would like freak out about. And then uh, the two fixed rifles that I'm going to buy that I built. So it's like, I'm saying this stuff from like, like I just, from a consumer standpoint and someone who's like super unbiased when it comes to this, like I want people to understand like, hey, I've used taper mounts from different sensor manufacturers now and some of them work better than others and um, everyone's kind of using them now because they work pretty well. So it's like, you know, you can draw your own conclusion about what you think yeah. that means. Call it copying or call it don't cop. Call it copying or call it d design inspiration. Use whatever term you want to use, but recognize. Yeah. That's all. That's well, all. Dude, like, I, I don't know. It, like, it's, it's like we garner so much attention and hate. And then when people, like the fixed rifle. So you're an engineer. You built one with the engineers, two with the engineers yesterday. If you're a reasonably, reasonably smart individual, Mechanical individual, if you're into guns, you cannot deny the importance of that gun and how that's going to change the industry moving forward. No, I posted it yesterday. I was like, this is one of the most, I mean, for my, like, I'm, I'm, I'm I still consider myself a novice in small arms. Um, me too. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's people that come before me that I couldn't, I could, I don't deserve to smell their shit. You know what I mean? It's like one of those <laughs> things, like like Eugene Stoner. Like if I was in the same room yeah, with him, Stoner I'm sure he'd, he'd, he'd probably, or like even Reed Knight would like he'd slap me if we were talking, which is fine. <laughs> but but like um, I, I don't, yeah. When I saw the the fix and and when we, we when I built it with the engineers, I was like, I don't see like, and we recognized like Nick recognized. He was like, look like. I recognize, like, this isn't the most innovative thing ever. Like, it's not like we are using a different type of cartridge, or it's not, not like we're, like, but, like, the sum of the parts and, like, what they had to do to make some of it work the way they did, and then, like, the cutaway they did at on the back of the bolt shroud to examine, I mean, the stuff that Drew's been doing with that, like, we were talking about it, I was like, Yeah, Dude, the actual science that we perform oh my to protect God. those guns. It, it, you know, like The rollers inside the, the striker mechanism? Dude. I mean, and, and what? Then, then the equipment to install them. 
I mean, it's crazy. Like the, the techniques I was using to assemble that they were instructing me on, they're like, okay, like, you know, you have to do this. And I was like, oh, I was like, how did you figure that part out? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, that was hard. I was like, I bet it was hard. Yeah. I mean, like the, that the guy, was like, like even the guys you said, like Browning, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to speak out of term, but Browning and Stoner and like, you know, and I know sure. Reed Knight and I've known him for 25 years. They would all own that gun and compliment it. Like the gun, but you know, like a lot of the stuff that we're doing there, it wasn't possible when Browning was around or even when Stoner till the end, you know, when you talk about materials or manufacturing, manufacturing understanding, yeah, it's not, it just yeah. wasn't available yet. So it's not like at a given time, they couldn't have done something similar. And then two timing, like there wasn't a, a need for it. Um, yeah. But that is a gun. I don't know. We, we might go on another 30 years and develop all kinds of stuff. And you know, I always hope the next thing is the big thing, you know, like eight, six to me or whatever. I don't know looking forward or back that we will ever be able to do something better than the fix. Like, the amount I, of the I, resources, I the resources and the time, you know, and timing. And, you know, it's like we had all worked at big companies for a couple of years and we were just like drowning in just like just the average shit. We weren't inspired and we just all at one time wanted to do it. And we'd wanted to do this gun for 10 years and we were learning stuff at SIG that was end up being helpful to, to us developing this gun. But we all wanted it so bad once we started Q that I don't know if I can ever replicate that timing again where I can inspire six of us to commit. Because you think from the very first meeting, yeah. the first week at Q, six months later, we were shooting that gun. That's what Nick said. He was like, yeah, the craziest part of this thing is how fast we did it. Six months later, Candace Horner, Daniel Horner, who is now at SIG, his wife, she works for, I think, Recoil now, who's a great shooter. Six months later, from the time we thought of the gun, she shot a five-shot half-inch group through a $100 bill at 100 yards with that gun. So a six-pound, two-ounce gun, a 110-pound girl. I mean, I saw the whiteboard where it was thought up. Yeah, that's I mean, where it was. And it was like, and That whoa, meeting was like, only an hour. Yeah. Like, we want, the, we want the gun. We want it to do this. We want a one-piece receiver. We want to be able to change the barrel. It doesn't have to be quick change. We want the gun to weigh six pounds. We want a folding stock. Oh, dude, that reminds me. There's some stuff about the fix I want to say really quick. Technically, the receiver and the stock, like structurally, the way it behaves, it's so purposeful. Like the way it's designed and the stiffness that they used and yeah. to get the weight like it is and the way, like the actual, like people asked me, someone asked me yesterday on social media, they DM me and they said, why is it so ugly? And I told the guy, I couldn't, <laughs> well, first of all, I couldn't believe he said it. And then I was like, okay, that's cool. Your opinion, I'm sure that's fine to have an opinion. That's fine. But, yeah. but I told the guy, it, everything has a purpose on that gun. It makes it beautiful if you're into science. Yeah, like that gun's not like one of those guns where we're like, okay, well, we wanted the gun to look like this, and then we fit everything around it. It was like, no, we wanted the gun to do these things in this, in this particular way dynamically. And then that's the, the material, that's like the shape you needed to make it happen, which was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, and, and so yeah, then, I mean? then we make some aesthetic adjustments. And exactly. I love aesthetics, but yeah. to me, it, we have to remain true to the engineering. And, yeah, there's a back and forth. Yeah, and, you know, and, and, you know, anything that's the best eventually is pretty, you know. It's, yeah, I it's mean, the way I've used it. Like, you know, the MP5. The MP5 is, like, heavy and old, but, like, it looks a certain way. 
a lot of the reasons why it looks a certain way is because it has to fun how it has to function, and I it's just beautiful. Yeah, and everyone one loves it. One of the it. sexiest guns. It's ever. one of the coolest looking guns ever. And now even the Glock, which was the ugliest gun, handgun by far for ten years, yeah. But like once you realize it's ingenious. Yes, it's one of the best guns you can buy. You know, if you want a concealed carry gun. I hate the Glock, but I love it. I carry one. I yeah. hate it, but I love it. Yeah, it's just. I just can't help it because I know it's going to work, and I know it's just. Can you imagine making a firearm that cheap, that's that reliable, that's that ubiquitous, and it's like that alone? I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm gonna have a well, Glock now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, the Glock to me, because of all these things, and they remain true to it. One of the five most important things in small arms that's happened. Yes, and it's not like they, you know, obviously I know all the nerds are in HK geeks are going to be. I mean, like, my favorite pistol is the HK P30L. Yeah, and or P seven, they go back and forth. Current production P thirty L, old production P seven. Yeah, but you know, and, and HK did the VP seventy, and then the P nine S polymer frame gun. People say, oh, it doesn't matter. They just didn't do it correctly. That's right. So Glock did it correctly. That's right. And you know, and I love Sig handguns, and the three twenty is a great gun. And you know, uh, when I was at Sig, I was a part of all that. And now the the three twenty is the Army's gun, and. Uh, but ask me if I've got 320s in my cars and in my bedroom, or do I have Glocks? Yeah, I, I can't. It, it, I haven't know, bought a 320 and I yet. like I the 320, but, um, you know, I have Glock 19s and 17s. I'm not ready for a 320 yet. It's going to take me to time. To me, it's fine, but it doesn't, for my needs, doesn't offer an advantage, and I don't like the bore height that much. Yeah, it's a little high. I like the steel mags better. A little high. I, I don't like the bore height. Like, there's just things. And I would be fine if I had it, but I don't. When I buy guns for like, you know, there's several around the house or in my vehicles yeah. and stuff like they're Glocks. That's what I put in there. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, what else? What else we need to Oh, cover? we were talking about um, after. Oh. oh, wait. We're talking about the silencer. So, okay. Oh, so, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. that. So, why would you buy the CGS silencer? Oh, yeah. I why, talk would you, why would you buy that over the Nomad or the Trash Panda? Yeah, so I ta I, I've talked about that before. Um, the, it's the Helios, the CGS Helios. Um, it's a coaxial silencer um, in certain ways. Um, it, it's really intended for machine, a 5.56 machine gun, um, but it, it's overboard to like 0.35 inches or 0.36 inches. I'm not sure exactly. I have all that written um, down on the website when I because I did a test on it. Yeah, so that's how you defeat OSS. Like, you can build an OSS silencer yeah. just by putting a half-inch bore through the Yeah, so, like, I, I think the, the advantage... I would buy a Helios if I was looking for... Because you can change the end caps and make it quieter. Quiet. I'm sorry. Uh, you, can make, you can make it lower back pressure and louder with changing the end caps to vented end cap. So well, does that make it louder at the shooter's ear or just the muzzle? Um, it makes it louder everywhere. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, on a bolt action, on a bolt action. Oh, bolt action. Yeah, 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 because I haven't tested on semi-auto or full auto, but it's 3D printed in canal, so it's one of those bomb-proof heavy silencers that you could use to be, like, to, to, to mask your signature on a, a, an AR platform with a, with a really abusive firing schedule, and if you wanted to stand the weight to have a quiet bolt gun silencer, you could put it on your bulk gun too by changing the end cap to the solid end cap, but it's heavier. So it's like, you have to make the decision, like, what do you want? Like, what's important to you? And like, the design's interesting internally, I think. I think it's, um, the, the, the coaxial section actually 
hooks up with the main section halfway through. So you're dumping the gas in an interesting way and it's quiet when, with a solid end cap. But when you put the vented end cap, it all goes out really fast. So it's like an OSS. So it's like an OSS mixed with like a, a heavier quiet silencer. That, that's what it is. What about the mounting system? Uh, the mounting system is a QD in that they have a like a, a, a mount ring. They can change to this insert for direct thread that they make. Or you can put the, the standard, uh, what is it? One of, I forgot like, the standard thread pitch for like the, you know, what you put in all the back of the popular silencers. Oh, nowadays. so they don't do their own mount. No, I think they might be making one, but I don't know of, of any on the market that they make. They use a taper with a thread mount? Um, not on the shoulder, not on the, the one that connects to the gun, but the, the, the piece that connects to the silencer is tapered to the silencer. So that oh, part's yeah. aligned, but it's just a square shoulder on the, on the other yeah. thing. So it's like, yeah, it is, I mean, heavy, it's heavy. Um, um like, yeah, it's, it, I, don't, I don't, I wouldn't compare it to the either. trash panda at all. Only in size, not in any other characteristic. Yeah. That's the thing that we did. Uh, yeah. Like I like rugged silencers, but it's still like AAC 2.0. Um, and rugged, like everybody wants this, you, you know, like nobody, I, think I it's, own them. It's I cool them. for a, a few people, but just thinking like, oh, full auto, like number one, what's that mean? And then I would say this. So that was the attack that like Mike Pappas, when he was thrown out of Silencer Co. And then Henry goes with rugged, they go with dead air and they make the Sandman and they make whatever the rugged one's called. And they show videos, belt fit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, for me, the easiest way to describe that is number one, we could all say, well, who has a machine gun? Nobody's shooting full auto. Why do you give a fuck? It's like, I care more, I'm like you, I'm a hunter, so I care about weight and size and these sorts of characteristics. But more so now, I would just ask Dead Air, you sell more Sandmans or you sell more of the Q copy like Nomads? Well, that's, like, that's the thing. Like, as a silencer consumer, I think there's, there's like, okay, there's three, there's three stages of grief. No, no. <laughs> there, there, there's three stages of silencer consumerism. The first stage is I want a silencer that can do everything. And people quickly learn that that's wrong. That's so dumb. And, and I thought yeah. that is, is my, like, I don't particularly like Silencer Co. And I'm not impressed with many of their products and whatever. But that is one thing that drives me crazy about them. Because they do a lot of those silencers, like the hybrid or whatever. And Griffin does the same sort of dumb shit. But I don't, Griffin's not really in the conversation irrelevant. But um, you give the consumer... The first-time consumer, a bad experience with silencers, which fucking pisses me That's off. That's right, because if, if, if the product's not tailored to their use case, then they're not getting their best product for their use case. So that's the first stage. Yeah. And then... The, Everybody does that. Everyone does that. Now, now the, the second stage of silencer ownership and consumerism is realizing that you don't need something that's going to be um, a brick shit house necessarily. Like in, in, yeah. in respect of a full auto SOCOM firing schedule. Rating. One out of 100,000 cases. Yeah. Now, I mean, am I, I'm, I'm a person that does like the durable silencers too because they have a use case because I own machine guns. You know what I mean? And not everyone does. So it's like, that's the second case. Yeah, and then the th the th or yeah, the, you the are second very stage. Rare owning an actual machine I'm pretty gun. rare, and that's only because like I've worked for a long time and I could afford one. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're expensive. Yeah, and then the third the third stage is when you realize, oh, I need a silencer for every gun, and also like most of the time it has to be light, and I'm probably only going to be shooting like a certain amount of rounds through it. Yeah, being honest about what you're going to do, rather just than, be honest. That's well, all. Well, people, you think, yeah, oh, you got to like, go through all this rigmarole. You're going to buy 
a silencer. Yeah. And I said, I just want one that's going to last me forever. Number one, you're going to buy like 10 fucking silencers. Because the first time you shoot with a silencer, you're never going to shoot without a silencer. That's right. And, and then you're, 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 you want, you're sick for it now. When you saw yeah. like my 22 and uh, that oh. 1022 that I've got. With, with, the, with half of the erector on yeah, it? Yeah, half the erector yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. And you can't even tell there's a silencer on it. No, it's, it's crazy. So yeah. that's what I want. I want it to be like there's no silencer on the gun. That's the best part. Well, that's one thing that I noticed. Um, I was at silencer shop a couple of years ago and I was hanging out. And like, you know, silencer shop, because there's a silencer business, has like a lot of silencers out and like they had some stuff. That's the name. Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Well, there was one on a desk under a piece of paper. Um, and I picked it up and I, I had never seen an erector before. Um, and I asked, uh, I think I was either Dave or Tyler or someone and I was like, or Elliot, and I was like, hey, uh, what is this? And they're like, oh, that's a QE erector. And I was like, this is a real silencer? And they were like, yeah. And I was like it feels like it's not even like there's nothing inside it. And they're like, yeah, dude, it's like one of the lightest things in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It was yeah. weird. It felt like I was going to break it because I didn't, which I'm not, because I'm not going to break it over my knee like a crazy person, but like... Well, the, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people think that, but, you know, our, our goal there was like uh, a rimfire silencer that is the lightest, most modular thing we can do that makes sense. And so, you know, that configuration that's on my rifle weighs one and a half ounces. Like, put that in perspective for, like, what's one... A2 like we, flash on. Remember we, how we were talking about, like, we were in the shop, and we were talking about how, like, you've done those pictures with, like, how much stuff weighs on a scale, and I was like, yeah, but, like, how can you show people, like, true weight, like, physically, like, through social media? Like, can you... Like, you know, like, when you watch someone pick up a pencil, you're like, damn, that's probably a pretty light pencil. But, like, if you watch someone try to pick up a dumbbell, you'd be like, oh, that looks heavy. Yeah. But it's like a... It's a, it's a perception issue. Well, that's what, like, when I picked up the freaking... The, the freaking Erector 9 yesterday. Yeah. Oh, the Erector 9. I, I would Not say, to change the subject, but well, like... Well, I would say the Erector 9, the Erector 22, and the Honey Badger feel like they're fake and missing parts. Yeah. So when you have real engineers, you can make stuff lightweight and use the proper materials, and it doesn't have to be fucking heavy to compensate for poor engineering. Now, I'm sure you can break a Honey Badger stock if you, you really wanted to break it. Anything. But you can break anything. And so it's like, that's the thing. It's like, it's super important to understand like what the use case is, man. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess it, it, we have this expectation for weight for guns, uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I people know. have to get, you know, anytime anything's new, you got to get used to it. Yeah. But when people say stuff like that to me, it's like, okay, well, you know, we talk about how, like, the haters, too, will propagate. Like, oh, the hunting badger has bolt bounce. Every gun has bolt bounce. Like, I, I, one of the first guys that sent that to me on, like, the hater in one of these behalfs, I look at his profile and he's got um, one of those BNT nine millimeter guns. Oh, the direct blowback gun. Yeah, that yeah. is um, $2,400 or something like that. And I said, okay, show me the, the bolt bounce on that gun. And then it's like, what idiot tests bolt bounce? You know who does that? A wannabe that's not educated, that's never been through military testing. What idiot tests bolt mounts on an empty chamber? Dude, and you know on a nine millimeter blowback, like the, the case mouth of the nine millimeter indexes on the chamber and there's no locking mechanism, dude, like, what are you doing? And then that, like, if you have bolt bounce in that, you better be concerned. Cause guess what you're going to have <laughs> out of battery discharges. I hope you're not left-handed shooting that gun. Yeah, that but, too. It's you know, like, what? It's, like, so it's always these things. And so, you know, I had three or four people as a result of that message me, Hey, I want my honey badger to have no bolt bounce. Like, okay, well test it on an empty or on a live round video that and it's like 
okay, well, I know that in SOCOM testing, the Honey Badger was four times more reliable than the MCX rifle. Four times more reliable in a real fucking test by professionals shooting a gun. Okay, well, send me a picture or a video of the malfunction that you have with your Honey Badger. I've yeah. never gotten one. Yeah, it's like what, like, bolt bounce is an interesting phenomena. You know, dynamically, it's interesting. And, and you know, if you have a, a fully automatic weapon, it's very interesting to, to, to worry about. Yeah, we got a full auto. That's a, that's a whole different thing. It's a whole a different auto thing. It's very different. Like, you can't pull it. your trigger fast enough to be a full auto if you have a semi-auto. I know, like, a lot of people think you can. <laughs> but there's a lot of different stuff that happens in an M16. Nope. Like an M16 or an M4, like a real M4. Yeah. It just, it's just a different... But there's thing. all these things, but I see it with the stock or with the silencers, and it's like, well, can I shoot two, two, three, through the erector? It's like mm, it's, once. <laughs> well, and maybe, <laughs> but it's like, hey, buy another silencer. You do not get a two ounce silencer that'll do it all. Like, stop being an idiot. Buy something for your purpose, because you, because you and I hunt. Like, what's what's your hunting setup? Like, what's your whitetail hunting setup? My white you and I both hunt whitetail. My whitetail hunting setup is a, it's a Savage Model 10 precision carbine 20-inch barrel with a rugged radiant. Why in the world do you use a 20-inch barrel? Because it's like the first bolt-action rifle I bought, and it's the only 308 I own. It's a 308 bolt-action I own. My, my pig hunting setup is an AR-10 16-inch barrel that I built that was 7 pounds with thermal, right? Why are you, why are you <laughs> on a 16-inch barrel? I don't know, man. Supersonic 308. Jesus. Still really good at like 12 and a half inches. I mean, I built a fix. Well, it'll, it'll, it'll be it. Okay, so you're moving on up. So we'll see what your answer is. Well, why do you pick that, why do you use that silencer, for instance, over a trash bag? Ah, uh, yes. Well, because, um, you know, I had rugged silencers before, and so I had the mounts. And when Henry came out with the, with the titanium version of the short surge, which is what the radiant is with a little bit with a tubeless front section. Yeah. That's what it is. I was like, cool. I've used the short surge on my 308 AR. It had a little bit more back pressure that I liked and it was kind of loud, but I know the radiant was going to be lower back pressure because I looked at the design. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I have the same mount. This is easy peasy lemon squeezy. Okay. I'm just going to buy the silencer. And when I got it, like it was louder than I thought it was, but it, it was light. Why? And that was the it was the weight the weight and the mount is why I bought it, and I didn't really make I didn't really give it another thought. See, I think that's where we just changed the industry again. The cherry bomb mount and going lightweight, and you see the trend. Yeah. I mean, you saw you know dead air with with the cherry bomb and Plan B copy now. You know, it's like I called it this past year. I've I've said it. I mean, it's only times. a matter of time. They were going to copy it because they're chemo people love that, but like. Their fucking chemo mount and muzzle brake weighs more than the cherry bomb and the jumbo shrimp. It's you know what Rugged did with the Radiant. They released the M, their M2 brake, which is because Rugged's always used a taper mount with a coarse thread and a lock. And yeah, their you know what I mean? double taper is actually good. It's I pretty like cool, it. and that's yeah. one of the reasons I liked Ru I liked Rugged's mount. I was like, that's neat. It yeah, takes everything the ASR a secondary latch. I if like you it. have to, it was like it takes everything the ASR should have been. Yeah, and makes it better. Yeah. Yeah, the I ASR, think. that's a whole funny thing. It's a whole, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you know, but, that, that's an infringement on the AAC patent, just Remington's too stupid or doesn't uh, have the resource to go after it. And, but then, you, you know, where those all lock yeah. up and get seized on the gun and blow down range is such a minor little thing, and it's because they overlook something, they still don't even get it. It's because they don't have an engineer. It's like a simple little thing. That but see, do. like what Rugged, what Rugged did, when they used the dual taper lock, they were like, well, we don't need all that material in the front. 
let's just cut all that down. And now we have this little tiny M2 brake that might not be a good muzzle brake when you use it by yourself, but who's using a muzzle brake by itself anymore? Yeah, it's an argument like full auto silencers. It's like, so, so you put, so they did, when they released it with the Radiant, I think, oh man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna misspeak, but the total weight of the Radiant with the, with the, with the muzzle device that they made, I think is like 12 ounces or 14 ounces or something. Pretty light. No, it's gotta be, yeah, something light where it's like, oh, perfect. Yeah. I don't have to, all I have to do is, I can use the same locking collar, I can change the little mount on all my guns, use my existing rifle silencers that had a razor and a surge. Yeah, I was like, this cool. works for me. Well, so you're gonna put one of those muzzle brakes on your fix? Um, until I can get a, a lightweight titanium silencer from Q, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna put, like, that's why I asked you guys yesterday on the, um, well, there's two fixes I, I got right. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to, by the time I deer hunt this season, most likely I'm not gonna have, like, a different titanium rifle silencer, so I'm gonna have to use my Radiant. So I'll probably hunt with my Radiant on the, on the, on the full-size fix and, like, the small 300 Blackout. Um, but like I got that shoulder adapter so I can use it with the taper, but I'm most likely, I'm probably, I would say I'd probably use a full Nelson or a Thunder Chicken on, on one of those guns because of the tapered barrel. And I want to go directly to the barrel. I kind of want to do the full Nelson with the, with the, with the fix because like, I don't need the, the diffusion element that happens with a cherry bomb to protect the first baffle. Mm -hmm. And it's a long barrel, and so it doesn't really make sense to me to even add another thing like a cherry bomb to it. I think I might just add... Oh, I, I agree with that. I mean, if I you're, you're going to put the silencer on there and leave it... And leave it. That's what I Nelson mean. The Nelson or the full Nelson, or if it's 6.5, the Thunder Chicken, or uh, uh, Jumbo Shrimp, Shrimp, are the way to go. Um, if you want to be able to move it around or yeah. put it on five, five, six, then the Thunder Chicken or Trash Pan. But I don't, I mean, I'm not, I haven't finalized that decision, but it was something I was thinking about because I was like, well, I've gotten to the point in my life now where it's like I kind of want a silencer on each gun and I kind of don't want to take Absolutely it off anymore. Here. Yeah. Like, I'm still at the point where, like, I'm going to need a freaking really nice subgun silencer for my actual subgun, my, my, my Mac. Yeah. I have a little laged upper on that. It's super fun. Oh, that's great. And I still use my SWR Trident with it, and that's pretty much dedicated to that gun and my pistols just because that's the only silencer I really jump between a lot of guns because it's like I still don't have a 9mm pistol silencer I love. And so, like, that's, like, the SWR Trident from back in the day is, like, still the one I'm like, okay, Mac duty and, like, you know, yeah. HK pistol duty. Like, I don't know, like, yeah. well, you know. You use whatever you got. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's funny because I don't like switching them either, but yeah. my, the first Trash Panda that I got from the office, they, so Johnny Nevesky was, like, my hunting partner when he was alive. That's cool. And so they engraved his face on small on that silencer that's cool and so now because i would generally have just a silencer on every gun yeah but i want to take it's it's so like sappy and sentimental but i want to take that one on all my hunts mm. because you know to me like his little stupid face is on there and 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 so i use that silencer so i actually remove it and put on other guns so now i'm glad it's like the trash panda well i mean you know and i say and you, you know you kind of put me on the spot asking me what silencer i would pick you know I, I would say full Nelson dedicated to the gun just because I know it's dedicated the thread mounts better. Well, you know I, that. But that, but I know it's going to be the quietest and that's why I would pick it. But like, if I really was thinking about maneuverability with a, a gun with a full size barrel, like the fix, I would maybe the trash Panda or I'm sorry, the the half Nelson, like I was talking to Nick, he puts a half Nelson yeah. on his, on his six, five fix and shoots all day long. My, well, I just got a jumbo shrimp. 
but my 6.5 silencer that I was using, you know, three years ago in New Zealand, it's actually shorter than a half Nelson, and it has uh, a 6.5 bore put through it. Oh, that's cool. I called it a Kiwi, and we engraved a little Kiwi on it. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it was going to New Zealand, but um, it's small because I, yeah, I didn't want a cherry bomb. I'm never going to shoot that without a silencer. I didn't care. So it was the best thing. So I, I get it, but now I... You know, and now I do demos or go on hunts with people or distributors yeah. or, or whoever, um, vendors of ours. And, and so I like being able to remove the trash panda too and show them like yeah. the taper mount on the cherry bomb, how the front of it's black. Because that's another thing, uh, and how well the taper works. Where should the threads be on a muzzle device oh, before dude. or after the taper? Dude, like the way that, well, I think... I think even Dead Air's new mount does it like the Q one where the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the tapers in front. Yeah, you could probably do an overlay. I'm guessing. Well, but I'm saying there's a reason for that because I actually tested um, I tested a silencer a couple months ago. I haven't released the data yet. Where um, it's a really quiet silencer. It's actually one of the quietest silencers I've ever, I've ever shot on 308. And the 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 threads are in the reverse position, and the threads like someone else had used the silencer beforehand, and the mount like it wasn't. It's not like a virgin. Yeah. Um, uh, sample and um, the threads were so dang clogged up with crap I had to like physically like kind of thread on back off thread on back off, and cut through all the carbon, carbon debris and I was like okay pra practically what does this mean if I was if I had the silencer and I was yeah, a consumer, utilizing the tape I would have to clean that thing every single time like Stupid. and if I left it on the silencer or left it on the mount I might not get it off without like a hardcore strap wrench craziness and it's like why should I have to like what if I'm putting it in the case at the end of the night or like what if like you have to be able to remove your silencer so yeah. it's like so that part to me was like interesting yeah I did it wrong at advanced armament and Griffin copied that yeah. well people got really upset with me because like I talked about this on um on my podcast and like someone told me i was nonsensical in talking about it and they said that a thread's a taper so well know. they said that like yeah that the carbon can't get past the lead-in of the <laughs> thread and i'm like well you know i understand like in theory what you're saying but like, it's not the case because but there's it does, a thread it, tolerance so yeah there's, there's it does get in there though and that's <laughs> the thing and like and that's why like i'm like dang and i was i was a little bit taken aback because i was like, look i'm not trying to be a dick and i'm really not trying to tell you that like you're like don't think about this yourself i want your opinion but the fact of the matter is i'm not basing this on theory like i've actually yeah, tested it that that's not well, that's not even an opinion. It's the threads obviously go behind the taper, and if you can't see that, somebody needs to explain it to you scientifically, and then you can do a test like you've done. I learned it with advanced armament silencers. The thread will not stop carbon. I mean, and it, you will get yeah. that, and and then once it doesn't thread all the way on, you're not getting utilized the taper. Well, yeah, and the thing is, it's like you can either. You can either use a bunch of options that are proven to work, or like you can try your and gamble with ones that don't. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like everyone can buy whatever they want. It's fine. I'm sure some of the the, the, the mounts with the taper in the other direction work for some people, and it depends on their firing well, schedule. Well, I mean, it's we, like everything. we made tens of thousands for the military. The design I did at AAC, and I was wrong, but it was still the best mount available at the time. Yeah, but it still worked, right? So it's like it's like yeah, you can build stuff that works, or you can build stuff that will work better. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think that's our journey, and that's probably you know, what you're saying with with the testing and all you're doing yeah. now. Like you're starting, and this is what you think, but it's gonna evolve. It, it's gonna it's evolve. Gonna I mean, I've had to make some changes. I've had to like um, give some more some people some more information because I felt like like I don't like the other day someone someone like 
a couple months ago, they looked at the suppression rating for one of the, the centerfire pistols I tested, and they told me, they're like, you know, when I shoot a, a nine millimeter pistol with that ammo, with the silencer, it makes my ear uncomfortable with this many shots. And I was like, this is extremely valuable data. And then what I did was like, okay, well, yeah, it's I- It's cool that people are helping you. It's super cool. So what I did was like, was like, okay, that means I need to show you more data to show you truly at exact locations where the suppression rating applies. And so I just yeah. added that out well, of your number. You know, you can that's never I did. do it all. That, that's so I great. just put it there for them. I love, yeah. like I don't fake it. And I think people see it as genuine. And I think that's probably why we have so many fans. And you see like, I have to buy spare fridges for the work for the beer people send us and the gifts that we get, all sorts of things. The engagement is so helpful because I value the customer in a lot of ways. And it sucks that you have to use them for R&D to some degree, but we do, as you saw, a lot of testing, a lot of actual R&D. We use a lot of science. We're, we're committed to building the best thing for the consumer. And it's not a buzzword though. Like when you say science and stuff, you say it a lot. So I think people, some people are like mocking it, but it's like, it's actually- A half of our shop of fucking apparatus that, that the guys make to test stuff and all this weird Dude, geek the thing stuff. that Nick and I were doing last night, we were looking at this microscope to analyze a failure of a component. Like, I'm telling you, like, it's real the real deal yeah nick or ethan yeah. or drew like they can yeah. all fucking work at nasa like yeah they're smart dudes yeah it's it's yeah it's not like hey they went to community college and then took eight oh. years to graduate with an emmy from a state school like they're no, all they're like super that. super yeah so but it, it at any rate um oh i forget what yeah i interrupted you well anyway um no, I, I think maybe we end it and we pick up again in a few months and let's get yeah. to the questions on Instagram in a minute. Yeah, that'd be I'll cool. Go pick my son up in a minute. Yeah, no, I appreciate your your hospitality, this whole kind of weekend thing, and uh, the, the everyone at Q for kind of opening the doors and be like, hey, come on in and check it out. And you know, it was kind of. I even asked. I, I said, hey man, do I need to sign an NDA? You know, and Adam was like, no, dude. Yeah. I mean, and Adam runs a company. It's his decision. But yeah. yeah, that's the way we are. I mean, it's even... Look, if... if I really like Mike Pappas at Dead Air. Um, and I think he's a puppet for kind of the company now. And, and before this, before they outright stole some stuff, like if he had shown up, he would have gotten the same treatment you did. Like, I'm not afraid of competitors, uh, media... Like, you're going to write what you're going to write. Like, yeah. we're not going to sue you. We're not going to sue him. And even from a competitive standpoint, you're still chasing us if you see what we're doing now. And I don't particularly care. Things that are very important will protect with intellectual property and, uh, you, know, you know, with patents and stuff. And other things, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, it's just like, you know, all SIG did was buy a gun and then start reverse engineering stuff to do the cross. I'm not like sure. I'm not sure they're going to achieve necessarily the intricacies of some of it that are very complicated that are still being involved. no. But you know, Sig used to be like H and K. Now Sig is oh. like a step below H and K, and Sig's market. You, you know, they built. They've got a big monster to feed, and so they want to build a. We want to build the best. They want to build a gun that's good enough for most people that they can sell for a thousand dollars less. Man, my first gun was a Sig P two two six. And it's like the, one of the coolest guns ever. That's one of the best handguns ever built. Ever built. Yeah. Well, man, thank you. Good luck. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we can support you and everybody will do it. And yeah, man. Head, go, go to PewScience.com, everyone, and uh, check it out. No obligation.
it's, it's <laughs> wonderful for consumers. There's just so much bullshit and silencers <laughs> for more real information. Yeah. Like I applaud you and I'm grateful for the industry. Yeah, no, thank you so you much. Know, you know, on behalf of the industry. So thank you.